Welcome back to another episode of Bobcast, where I interview outliers who are breaking the mold regardless of the status quo and pursuing their dreams in one way or another. Today on the show, I have Alex Cortez, also known as Neomatic Shaman. At 16 years old, Alex lost his leg in a tragic accident and had to get it amputated. Today on the show, this is the first time on a podcast that he's telling the full story from start to where he is now and how it affected his life in a positive way. So that's very interesting. He breaks it down. Didn't even know we were going to go fully into that today. He also has a podcast called Spirit of a Nation where he travels around the country interviewing people. So on that note, I'm running out of time in my introduction and I would love to get to the episode. If you want to hear Alex's story, you can skip to about minute 18. Um, That's where we start to go into it. And this is, as you know, a very wide ranging conversation. I want to thank Alex for being very open and doing this today. And I want to thank you for listening and watching the show. This is listener supported and you are how we are able to grow. So thank you for sharing this with friends. And I'll leave you with today's episode with Alex Cortez. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Bobcast. Today on the show, I have my man Alex Cortez. Hello. How we doing, man? Pretty fucking all right. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm great, brother. I'm glad to see you here. I was on your podcast, which is, you know, a, a trip for sure. I mean, yes. not too far of a trip because you came to me, which I think is incredible. I but thought you meant the conversation was a trip. It was. Well, that was a trip yeah. for sure. Yeah, I mean... Your um your show is is I like I I get what you're trying to do and I respect it because there's a lot there's people that will go into this for, with a long form interview show and a lot a lot of them don't last because it's hard to try to have a direction while having no direction and I've had that struggle myself for sure um and before we dive in man because I think we're just gonna go. And it's one of those interviews for sure. Um, but if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to just give people a little bit of context on like what you're doing. And you can <clears throat> explain what you're doing right now. You can go into your background. That's up to you. But mm. I just want to set that and then we'll just kind of roll. Hmm. Cool. Um, so just description of Yeah, whatever you pl- want to say, man. Who is Alex? Who is, oh my God. Or who <sighs> is, I mean, you Neomatic Shaman, you can go into that too. It's up to you. All right. So first I'll say I don't know entirely. <laughs> and then so... I'll, I'll give you some guesses, some guesses about what Neomatic Shaman is. Oh, that's weird in the third person. But the podcast, man, traveling around the country is the goal. Talk to people all different walks of life and just have conversations with them. Now, I've had some goals about where those conversations should go in the past, but more and more I'm kind of just tapping into the embracing not knowing. Like, oh, I don't know exactly why I'm doing this. I don't know exactly what we're going to talk about. I have some goals in mind like values there's a part of me like oh i want to figure out what people really care about in life and just what can be enjoyable in conversations um but largely i'm embracing more and more a question mark Mm -hmm. (laughs) and still this desire to dive in and talk to people is there so i'm still listening to it it still feels worth it maybe do you think it was there before you started doing the podcast like way before or was this just something like more of the podcast came in as as an idea 
like what was first kind of like the chicken or the egg that's kind of what I'm getting at like was it the were you predisposed to do a podcast in terms of the way that you interact with people like were you having those types of deeper conversations anyway or did you start to form them when you started doing the podcast there's a great one episode podcast on YouTube called by Naval Ravikant and he's breaking down a lot of great ways to be an entrepreneur financially independent things along those lines and one of the big things he talks about is <clears throat> capitalizing on the internet age where before if someone just told you go follow your heart, follow your passion, but pretty much the only jobs around are like in a factory. It's like that's not great advice. You're, you're yeah, not going to get very yeah. far. But now with the internet, there is a great um, market, at least as far as he says, for niche um, businesses, right? So like, okay, you have access to the literal world on the internet. So if you just find, there's a rule of thumb, I'm sure you read it in one of Tim Ferriss's book, a thousand loyal followers. You just get that and, oh, you're making a living now. You get like 50,000 casual viewers. Like, okay, this is, this is my job now. So, um, as he was breaking that down, he talked about, I may get this, the specifics wrong, but it was something like find something you're deeply interested in. One, something that people have a craving for but don't know how to get and three um your natural skills like what are you naturally good at and if you can wrap all those three together into a nice nice bow that's a great kit for um starting your own business and increasing probabilities of successfulness so i was investigating my own mind because going into the average um nine to five i don't want to knock anybody who does that if like do your thing man but for me if I could, unless I have like a family or something that needs, like I need money now, I need to take care of this. I always wanted to avoid that sort of lifestyle, find a different route. <clears throat> so I was exploring, brainstorming all these different potentials I could go down um, in the business realm. And podcasting is one that stood out because to answer your question, yeah, having deep conversations with people, I've noticed that's something, I don't know if it's a not to suck my own dick, but na- a natural skill or something I'm just interested in. It might be a little combination of two because I've noticed that I've been able to get with people that are strangers when we just sit down and talk for a while. We can get to some deep, deep, deep topics like people I barely know are telling me like an hour into talking times they almost kill themselves, like some of their biggest regrets in life because this is the kind of thing I'm interested in, it seems. So I'll dig into that and I love getting to know the deeper parts of who a person is. And when I combined that with uh, America <clears throat> at the moment, it seems like there was a lot of tensions between our own citizens, a lot of not really, this was my sense of it anyway, not really knowing who people are. You under, only get this caricatured version through the internet or however you're getting your information about the rest of our country. And it seems like people's understanding of who their fellow citizens were was so malformed that could potentially lead to um, poorly functioning governments. It could lead to, at its extreme, civil wars, things along those lines. And so I was just curious, like, are these caricatures true? Are there really genuine reasons for these intense tensions? Or is it a lot of illusion? Is it a lot of, I just don't understand who you are, and what I think you are is this horrible thing, and so I don't even want to talk to you, you're my enemy. But if I just sit down and talk with you, actually talk with you, not some third party telling me who you are, I found oftentimes that a lot of people are pretty wonderful. I have this, maybe it's a naive hope that 
we, there isn't a necessity for civil war, things along those lines, that if we actually sat down at the table and talked, we could find a common ground. So maybe that's one of the reasons why I, I got into podcasting. Yeah. And then sparked this travel around America, talked to all different people. And I want to get into that for sure. But did the podcast confirm you what you thought? The, did it confirm what you thought about the conversations <clears throat> that you would have? Or is it different than what you thought it was going to be? See, this is a tricky thing for me to figure out what the truth to this answer is. Because Could was, be a bad question. I don't no, it's, it's yeah. a good question, I think. The problem being that I wonder sometimes if I'm biased, like if I sit down and talk with someone, do I want the answer to be that, no, no, everything's good. We can actually sit down and achieve harmony. Do I want that to be so true yeah. that I'm going to start cherry picking um, mm. information from this person? I'm going to purposely mm. go into the conversation trying to get a yes mm. to that question. So I'm wondering sometimes, am I biased? Am I getting a, a poor sampling of these people when I talk to them? And so keeping that in mind for a second, yes, a lot of the evidence has seemed to point towards there is a lot of room for harmony that isn't being taken advantage of at the moment. That being said, I still have a lot more travel to do. I need to talk to a lot more people to get a more accurate assessment. Um, so I'm not sure yet. <laughs> and you've done about 40 episodes now, and the podcast is called Spirit of the Nation. Spirit of a Nation. Of a Nation. Yes. And so it's a nation, not the nation. Yes, I see. Sir. I like that. Yeah, I wanted to. <laughs> it's ambiguous enough. <laughs> and there was a part of me that almost wanted to humble America because when I had this view of what America is, there was almost like, no, we are the country. We're like the kick-ass, top-of-the-world, most important thing. And... There was a part of me that felt like maybe we need some humbling at the moment. Like, no, we're a country in the vast scheme of all the countries that have ever existed or do exist. And it's important to remember that. Like, we're not immune to all the faults that many countries have come to. So that was one of the reasons why that. Oh, but I might be changing the name soon to American Zeitgeist. Because as it turns out, there are other things called Spirit of a Nation that will pop up first, unfortunately. Well, <laughs> see, this is why we do the SEO first, baby. <laughs> Literally. All I'm saying. Uh, no, I did it. I did it foolishly. I did it on Google. Didn't find anything. But as soon as I typed it into YouTube afterwards, there's a bunch of Native American songs. But Neomatic.Shaman, if you type that in along with Spirit of a Nation, you'll likely find it on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Yes. Well, going to the podcast, but where did the Neomatic shaman arise it was originally nomadic shaman i love the idea of a shaman someone who understands the spirit world which is this very strange idea i i don't exactly know what the fuck it means but something about it resonated with me so i, I like this i almost felt like we lack the shaman in today's culture someone who can understand um <laughs> the spirits which at the moment sadly that's the best word i have for it and then nomad right the person who travels around always moving from spot to spot and then i added the neos like oh i'm the the new modern version of the the nomad traveling around trying to combine all those mm -hmm. yeah it's like neo shamanism or something like that yeah <laughs> not neo-nazi <laughs> that was an earlier not ne <laughs> that was an earlier iteration but you uh <laughs> you switch sides uh, we got you back dude good shit mm -hmm. i've learned some new information no i was never a new nazi <laughs> I, I, I was hoping you mm -hmm. were, that would be a very interesting conversation for sure i mean you should have one of those dude we should both oh, have fuck one yeah yeah and i was telling my last guest too i'm like i really 
I do want to have conversations with different people, but I also just handpick every guest because I like if people fill my form out and then I don't say anything for a while. It's like it's not because I don't want to have you on. It's just not yet. Mm-hmm. Like I just let this thing happen. I just let it roll out. Like whoever the next guest is is mm-hmm. whoever the next guest is. I it's <laughs> not. I don't have a formula or anything. You know. So the but I do want to get more people on who have these different views. But I also don't want to seek out people who have different views. Not that that's bad. I just don't want to seek anybody out. I really just want to let it happen. Like I've probably reached out. I haven't reached out to somebody to be on probably in like a couple of years, I would say. Like I have reached out to people, but people who would reached out before or those who I already told that I would have on. But I'm not like what I'm saying is I'm not actively searching. It kind of just happens now. What do you say? So how do you get people on? Like what are some people of the examples? Hit me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like I get the best guests from my guests, right? Because they understand the show and they realize they understand what you have to do, which is sit down and like talk for a long period of time, which is not something that people do all the time. Especially nowadays, yeah. Yeah, and it's not something that people do not recorded, let alone recorded. <laughs> I've done a lot of these, so it's I have the reps in, but like your general population, this isn't something that people are going to do all the time. So the guests do bring me typically um, really great people, and I have some friends who have businesses or clients, and they'll send my form to people, <laughs> cool. and they'll fill it out. So then I'll get a... Uh, I have a friend, Gabby, who we had on fantastic episode. Uh, she's a business owner, co-owns a studio with her husband as well. And she sent the form to a bunch of people. She has a ton of female clients. And they were all these, you know, girls who were just killing it, you know, and these ladies who were killing it and had their own businesses and whatever. So I'm like, OK, perfect. That's a pool of people I would never be able to tap into. <laughs> I'm not going to have 12 of them on at one time. Mm-hmm. But it's like, all right, I want to kind of do that. Like, I want to tap into these pools of people who are pursuing, but under the radar. And so that's kind of like the gist of the podcast a little bit. So it's kind of against what I, not against, but it's just not what I typically, uh, it's not, uh, it doesn't fit for me to go and just like hunt down. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of just let it come. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of, yeah, man, now uh, the clips, the clips that I put on Instagram, um, they have, I, which I didn't, I've been making them for years. Like I just, <laughs> now I've, each clip I make, I try to get better. And now it's to the point where I can suggest for an artist to be on and it's not a question they're just like yeah sure he's <laughs> like email me or whatever mm-hmm. whereas years before they wouldn't even answer you know mm-hmm. so now the appearance of the podcast gets me a lot better uh a lot higher quality yeah. guests i would think so that's kind of but that's four years you know that's four years down the line that's a hundred vertical video clips nice for those clips i just checked i got like um what was it 115,000 impressions over the last 90 days or something. What's an impression? So an impression is when somebody scrolls over your video. Like, they don't have to watch it. They could watch it, but they could just be scrolling over it. That's an impression. And then I think a view is counted when they watch it, I guess, for a certain period of time, maybe, or they stay on the video. Um, But anyway, I mean, the point being... I'm able to reach a lot of people and not a lot of them are turning into, I do have some that are turning into subscribers and followers, Mm -hmm. but the fact that it is reaching more people, that's elevating the appearance. Um, So, and people's opinion of it. Mm -hmm. And that has changed the guests, (laughs) the level Mm -hmm. of the guests um, for me. So, and that's just one thing. Like what I say to people is picking an angle. I just chose this 
vertical video angle, you know, but what's vertical video angle. So it's basically, you know, vertical video, like, like that you'd watch on TikTok, like a video that's straight up and down, Mm -hmm. literally vertical. Um, so we'll take where you're sitting right now and we'll cut you, I'll cut you into a vertical, um, uh, uh, instead of 1080 by 1920 or instead of 1920 by 1080, I'll, I'll move it and it'll be 1080 by 1920. Mm -hmm. And that is the style that that gets traction so that's why i started doing that um then i figured out how to do it my way but it's just been that evolution of trying to figure out like what and like you i don't know if you struggle this but it's like how am i going to get this to thousands of people like how do i get it to the people because you Mm -hmm. know how good it is that's where i was at for years Mm -hmm. you know um but when it we can go into my you know podcast all day man but like in terms of is there a way that you do that? Like, is there a way that now are you looking at these 40 episodes going, okay, yeah, this content's really good. Um, you know, we're way it's, it's better. Cause I know my content's better than the than the amount of people watching it. Even though I love the people who are listening and watching, I know it can reach tens and hundreds of thousands. Mm-hmm. So do you look at the numbers and stuff and do you get caught up in that at all? Or you're really focused on making the content right now. Priority goes to content. I would love to put it on a setting where I don't even see the number of views. But that being said, I do want to get a higher uh, viewership, right? And that is something I'm slowly putting more and more and more and more focus into. So the clips that you're putting on, like, that's maybe one of the best things that I found with the Joe Rogan podcast is just watching the 10, 15 minute clips on YouTube and then jumping from different podcasts to different podcasts, all these different subjects. So I need to start doing that. I feel like that would be a great way to get people involved because to ask someone who doesn't even know what you're talking about, this just sit down for like two hours and just listen to what you're talking about. That seems a bit much. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. I mean, you got to think about it like this, man. We're competing. You, somebody can pull our podcast up on YouTube, and then in, in the suggested mm-hmm. is Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, <laughs> Burke Kreischer, Tom Segura. Like, you got murderers, dude. <laughs> like, why are they not going to watch the funniest podcast in the world? Like, why are they going to listen to ours, right? So it's like that is a podcast struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and making it more accessible because our job as interviewers or podcasters is to bridge the gap between maybe the guest or whatever the information is and the person that's listening. You know, that's how I see it. I want it to be about the guest, but I also want to have things that are interesting or entertainment or informative or educational, whatever it might be. So that's kind of, I think about that too, too. I'm like, what are the alternatives? Like I I need mine to be so good Mm. for it to be at even close to that level to, and and I want to get to that. Like I 100% will, because that's really my goal is to like, I think the more that you put into it, the more that you value it too. Like when you get three cameras, like there's going to be a point when you have three cameras and then there's going to be a point when you multicam the whole thing. And it's just, you're not there yet. It's just going to happen because you're going to say, I need to do this to go to the next level, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I can't wait to have a producer in the background. That's let, Oh, beautiful. Hey buddy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Find a tread, dude. It's, I don't know. I got lucky, but. Hey, fuck it, man. (laughs) One day, just through the biggest part right now is I was focusing a lot on negotiating with myself, trying to um, give myself a workload that I'm actually willing to stick with for a long run. Mm -hmm. So a result of that um, seems to have been that I'm more lenient with myself. I'll lean more towards just content, keep it to a degree where it's enjoyable enough that I want to keep coming back and slowly add more and more grind to it, more and more discomfort while I slowly build my callus. And at the moment, yeah, it's a bit much with the 
it's several hours to put just one story up (laughs) and all those um different posts so i can't wait to have someone who can do that and i can just focus on content i can have someone who's on the advertising section making the stories and all i really have to focus on is find a guest and have a wonderful conversation that is that's the goal yeah sit down and go yeah that's the ideal scenario Mm mm-hmm I want, if you don't mind, um, because we might lose some people on the podcasting subject. I don't want to go too crazy on that, even though it's my personal uh, obsession. (laughs) Um, But we can always come back. I want to dive in your story a little bit. And I don't, I want you to tell whatever you want to tell. (laughs) (laughs) The people that are watching right now don't. know, Right. So because they're just seeing you as you are on your podcast, you you're out there in the wild, baby, which I love what you do. But listen, I'm not saying um, you were in some kind of accident, I guess I could say, or is it, can I classify it as that? I haven't sure. talked to you about this. This is the first <laughs> time. So I don't know if you want to talk about it here in the mm-hmm. podcast. You don't have to. It's up to you. But That's I fine. am curious. I just think that that, I may be completely wrong, but that is a defining, that defines you. Um, not defines your entire person, but if I were to backtrack in your <laughs> life, that's something a blip that would come up where I go. I would want to talk to him about that. Yeah. <laughs> so and now, that's something you would ask your guests about, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're on the other side of this now, <laughs> and so I want to ask you about it. And so, if you could go into that, I'd love you to. Mm-hmm. If you want to just summarize maybe your story from fifteen, sixteen on, or whatever, mm-hmm. you can go for it. But I'm gonna just leave it there. Oof, okay, this is always a fun thing. I want you to ask me the deepest, like most personal thing you could imagine, with no filter, no worry about. Uh, maybe you feel uncomfortable about this, like regarding this topic. Just ask me literally whatever you want to ask me. So you have a prosthetic leg. Yes. How did it happen? <laughs> so I was fucking around the construction site. I was 16. You were working construction. No, okay. I was fucking around. Okay, okay. <laughs> it was in this Hobby Lobby that the husk of the store completely had been developed. So imagine the store like the size of Walmart, right? But no shelves or anything are inside of the store. So it's just this giant playground almost, which (laughs) that was being a suburb kid. um, That was one of the main playgrounds in the area, the construction sites that would be up in. And where was this? uh, Sicklerville, New Jersey. Got it, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For anyone who ever happens to go near there, it's a Texas Roadhouse right next to a uh, Hobby Lobby. That is the one. So I'm in there with my friend, <clears throat> and we're fucking around, just climbing around stuff, exploring things along those lines. We're about to leave, about to go and smoke. We're totally sober, which is kind of funny um, for reasons I won't get into. But And we see a forklift inside this building. My friend happens to walk by. He's like, oh, shit. The keys are in this forklift. By the way, keep in mind, this is about 8 o'clock at night. All the lights are on in this building. Um, so my friend naturally turns the forklift on. We start joyriding. Mm-hmm. And we're about to leave. As we're about to leave, I'm like, wait. You just finished recording me while I was driving. I didn't record you yet. I got to record you. But wouldn't it be so cool if we got a first-person view So here's my genius idea. Imagine there's a seat to the forklift. There's a step that leads up to that seat. My friend's sitting driving, obviously. I'm standing on the step, right? There are these four uh, metal poles, we'll call them, that's holding up the roof of the forklift. So imagine I'm standing on this step with my arm looped around 
one of these bars as my friend's driving around, like just recording that first person view. He's driving and he's driving slowly, like reasonably, not wacky or crazy at all, but we're going straight. And I can see maybe 10 seconds uh, out, like, oh shit, I seem like I'm aligned with this support beam on the building, but now nah, he's going to turn. Like, nah, he's he's obviously going to turn, right? We're getting closer, like, no, like he notices, like he's going to, he's going to turn, like everything's fine. And it's just like closer and closer, denial, denial. And then at like two seconds away from impact, my mind kind of just goes blank and it just hits me like, oh, he has no idea that I'm about to just get squished against this forklift and the support beam. So at the last second I jump off and my leg gets caught between that bar I had my arm looped around and the support beam and the forklift kept moving and it just fucked up my leg. It, uh, my shin right below my kneecap, imagine from right below the kneecap is just bent at a 90 degree angle, the bone's sticking out, like it's just a yeah, gory mess. And I'll give you, yeah, it's a podcast, so I'll get into the nitty gritty. So fucking, I'm on the ground, I'm like, ah! <laughs> it's the weirdest thing, man. I closed my eyes when I jumped. So I knew that this is broken on impact. I've never really like fractured my pinky before. That was the extent of my injuries. But I felt on this impact, oh no, this is shattered. But I had no idea that when I looked down, like, oh, the bone's sticking out. Like, this is... <laughs> Somehow clicked that this leg is not going to be there whenever I get done with a hospital that I obviously am going to have to go to. And so my friend sees him like, oh, fuck, he just sees blood. He doesn't know that the bone's sick and all that shit. So he goes to pick me up and like, all right, you're just cut. We're just going to like take you home because we're not that far from my house. So it was a little walk away. We're just going to take you there and patch you up and we'll be good. But picks me up, kind of like half drops me because I'm pretty heavy and it hurts like hell. So I'm like, I don't fucking put me down. And he sees the, the bone sick and he's like, holy shit. Now it clicks. So he's freaking out. I'm pretty freaking out. And we're trying to figure out what to do. I stupidly pull the bone back in because I have this genius idea like what I can just reset the bone so I'm pulling it back in trying to like fiddle with (laughs) resettling it and everything is numb like from the point of impact down all that it's you don't feel a thing it's the weirdest fucking thing the adrenaline's hit me or whatever hits you when you get into a high stress situation like that so I don't really feel any pain at the moment friends freaking out and he calls the police obviously I'm like all right man like since we're in this little lot surrounded by a bunch of restaurants, go see if someone's an off-duty nurse or doctor or something. And so he's running back in and out of the construction site. Like, yeah, man, I found someone. I found someone. And he does that several times, but no one ever comes. And at this point, I'm holding the... I'm lying on the ground, holding my leg up above my heart because I hear that slows your bleeding. He gave me a shirt, so I'm, I just shoved the fucking shirt into the hole. And Oh, dude, to imagine the rate at which blood is coming out... If you just take a bottle of water, I'm not shitting you, like, just take a bottle of water and just dump it upside down. Like, that's how blood is just (laughs) pouring out of my, this hole that's like two quarters, uh, four, like, put together, sized hole in my leg. And, uh, so yeah, eventually the police come. (laughs) Funny side note, they, they're kind of annoyed, like, oh, these stupid kids probably hurt themselves. My shirt's covering the injury, so they can't really see. The cop comes over to the left. She's like, all right, remove that so we can assess the injury. <laughs> I remove the shirt. She just kind of gags and turns away. <laughs> so that gives you some idea of the level of injury. So, yeah, eventually uh, nurses come. They wrap me up, put me on an ambulance, and just immediately speed me over to to Cooper. Oh, I have some pictures in my phone. If you remind me later, I'll show you. It's in my car, so I can't grab it. But I, I got a picture from my lawyer of just the blood splatter on the ground. And it was, it was fucking like just take a hose 
and just spray five feet by five feet just full of uh, water. And that's blood. So it was fucking pretty intense. So anyway, uh, I get shipped to the hospital. They give me all the legal amount of painkillers they can give me. By now, the adrenaline's warm off, worn off and it just hurts like hell. Nothing's really helping. They, I get there. They're running me down the hallways like you see in the movies. They cut off all my clothes. And, I don't know, they're asking me these questions like, what's your date of birth? What's your phone number? What's your address? I guess just making sure I'm lucid. And eventually I just get put under for surgery, right? Now, jump to my mom who gets the phone call. Your son broke his leg. Yeah, come to the hospital. That's all they told her. She comes to the hospital. There's a 2% chance we can save your son's leg. What do you want to do? My mom's like, I thought it was just broken. Like, what the fuck? So, obviously, she says, try and save it. So, fast forward to me waking up and, dude, just, like, my arms are strapped down. My legs are strapped down. My neck is strapped down. I have all these tubes going, like, in anatomy. And my vocal cords were disconnected. My lungs were disconnected because apparently I couldn't breathe by myself due to all the drugs they had me on. So, I have these tubes going down my throat. And, oof, those few days were probably short term the worst part of the whole experience not the point of impact in the construction site but just that like having this weird itchy cough in the back of my throat a nurse would come by and like vacuum spittle from the back of my throat because i couldn't swallow and oh that nurse was a fucking angel dude she was on point the whole way through she felt like (laughs) like mother nature has come down to just bless you for a little bit in your time of need (laughs) and um so yeah eventually i get moved out of that and here's a crazy part while i was in the hospital so like a week and a half went through several surgeries trying to save leg obviously they didn't work i got an amputation above the knee and you know this whatever moving on (laughs) so while i'm there every time i close my eyes like literally if i just close my eyes for a second i just see these black and white like if you ever saw the scratchings an insane person makes in an asylum like these really scratchy fucked up drawings and artistry it's just that like this black and white gory imagery and so i'm kind of going insane by the end of the (laughs) point in the hospital like no i fucking need to leave now like why the fuck can't i just get out of here like smelling these weird smells no one else smelled it wasn't a great time so (laughs) eventually (laughs) yes it was very strange so yeah Oh, dude, I was in that bed for a few days and didn't get crutches or anything. So eventually they gave me a wheelchair. My dad walked me around and just getting out of the room. I can't describe how wonderful it was. They have a little park in the like literally just a like a 20 foot long park by the hospital. My dad walks me through there. Just the air smelling. It's never smelled so beautiful before. So anywho, I get out of the hospital and it's just on to the next. But talking about this being an important blip deciding factor in my life the biggest thing i i would guess is not the fact that i had to learn to walk again and all that jazz the biggest thing was that i had to rediscover a new love because for several years before then i had ingrained in my head since like eighth grade i know exactly what i want to do with my life my dream job is decided i'm gonna go into the military get me a navy seal like that's it that's fuck school fuck everything else that's what i'm doing period and so in the blink of an eye that was just gone and i'm 16 so i'm already about to be out of high school i wasn't doing too well so college was like ah, i can't get into a really good college anymore because i wasn't trying very much so maybe keep in mind plan b's even if you have your goal in mind maybe that's a different topic so yeah then that just sparked the beginning of a journey trying to rediscover purpose um something to do with my life that i would love doing 
and several things happened. If you're curious, I can get into that later. And eventually that landed on me doing the podcast. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Incredible story, man. Uh, unfortunate, but still the fact that, <laughs> you know, oh, here's one of the weirdest things that I'm, it's weird to tangle with this, but Do your thing. years later, I might call that one of the best experiences of my life because of all the good things that came afterwards. And maybe I'm inappropriately, um, calling that the causal link to all these good things that happened afterwards but it seems a lot like it is so I'll, I'll just go with that for now that yeah all the good things that came afterwards are just like holy shit years later if you could tell me right now would you go back in time and switch that get your leg back get your dream back all that jazz but you have to lose all the things you gained I don't think I don't think I'd do it I, I, I don't know because you never know till you're there right but I don't think I would go back and change it if I had to lose all the good that came after yeah I have two questions before we get into more of the details. <laughs> My first one is why are people why do people feel weird asking you about it? Why do you think they do? Because it's that it's not you, it's them. You see what I'm saying? Because I don't want to just come out and ask you about it, but I don't know why that I don't I don't know why that I, why I don't want to. Because Some, I'm I'm not that close to you, but I'm close enough. <laughs> I know you well enough that I know that I could ask you. And this happens to you probably a lot. So I, I mean if it doesn't, then shit, I really don't no, know. You're people, good, you're good. It's a, it's but a, I'm like, why is that? That's, excuse me. Um, maybe I just associate it to anytime someone has a what you'd call a traumatic event in your life. Mm. Sometimes people just don't want to talk about. It. Like if they went to war, some people just do not ever want to talk about it. Excuse me, I have the hiccups. No problem. Never want to talk about it again. Some people love to talk about it. I'm I fall into the latter category, but I think there's a part of us that understands, or maybe there's a part of us that understands when you're treading into those waters the waters of trauma it could hurt someone so much just to like ask them like maybe i just don't even yes. want to step on that could be a landmine right <laughs> yeah yeah i guess that must be it because i mean especially if yeah if you've had any trauma as well if you have things that you don't want to talk about <laughs> then you're gonna be like well this guy literally got his leg amputated not sure if he's gonna want to go on that for 45 minutes you know um another one one-off question are you still friends with oh yeah brothers okay. And where they were with you, they, like they would, you know, come to the hospital and stuff and see you and everything and yeah. throughout the whole thing. And I mean, did he like, did your friend like apologize or anything or like it wasn't like that, right? It seemed like it was a pretty uh, innocent accident. I mean, it was a bad accident, but it seemed innocent enough. It didn't seem like he was purposely trying to be extremely <laughs> reckless. Yeah, no. yeah, destroy your, no. you know, it was one of it your just, <laughs> There's a quote that is. I don't know, it's a million different things, but take from it what you will, that one of the most powerful influences in human history is stupidity <laughs> and just <laughs> yeah. not knowing. Yeah. I wouldn't call it stupidity yeah. exactly, yeah. but it was just an oops. Well, <laughs> what just... you guys were doing fundamentally was being 16. <laughs> I, know, I Even I, if I, I went I out with my boys at 24, I'd be like, what what crazy shit we getting into? Yeah, literally, right? <laughs> you know, what are we going to sit around and tell stories? You know, I mean, we're not that old, but... <laughs> mm. When it comes to your recovery mm. and then there, you probably don't, there's back to normal, right? But it's, there's not back to the same normal. Where's your mindset? Is it, I mean, are you, is this, it was there any, were you depressed at all? Were you sad about it? No, like, I was jolly. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, but you're a super positive guy. Like you, you know, you have, you've, you've had this, you have this podcast, you're very interested in people like. I don't know. Like maybe your mindset. I don't know you back then. Hmm. Maybe you were. You know. I assume. Listen, me back then. If that somehow I 
I was not emotionally <laughs> correct in that area <sighs> back then. So, I but I'm curious you. about the kind of where your mind was at through that kind of recovery and and then the realization of okay, I'm gonna have to go back to my life. <laughs> um. So first off, I could be wrong about this, but it seems like I'm a sensitive kind of person, and by that I mean when I feel an emotion. <laughs> It seemed almost like, and I could just be over-exaggerating this, but it seems almost like I'll feel an emotion, like I'm more sensitive to it. I'll feel it stronger than the average person, let's say. And that's not always a good thing as it's bad. So, like, if I have lows, sometimes I've hit very low lows. And when you see me, I, I'll i <laughs> probably not share anxiety or depression or things along those lines with you emotionally if I'm interacting with a person, generally. But yeah, I've had very low periods very high points of guilt, shame, not with that specifically, other things, regret, sadness, frustration, so on and so forth. But I've also had very high highs. Um, what, was, what was the other part of the question? Well, I guess what was your emotions like in that period? Oh, yeah, yeah. Were they hitting highs? Were they hitting lows? Was Have you ever felt like, because I don't know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'd be the most depressed I've ever been if that happened to me. Like, I'm just trying to mm-hmm. paint as if like, and I truly don't know what it's like, but if I were to get, if, if somebody's like, hey, construction accident, got his leg amputated, want to be a Navy SEAL, I'm like, probably wants, doesn't want to continue to live, <laughs> you know, not to go there, but like mm-hmm. for real, like if those were my ambitions and then that happened to me, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be like you were, you know, joking about like jolly and ready to take <laughs> on life, you know. There's, suicide never really crossed my mind. It's crossed my mind sometimes as a curiosity, not as like a genuine undertaking of life is so bad that that seems like the best option. So that didn't really cross my mind, but my emotional response to it initially, I would not call very healthy in retrospect. It was very much the men don't cry mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't feel bad. I don't feel sad. I'm fucking like stone cold. Move on. Your pressure. You put it down, down. Yeah. Nope. My dad always told me like when we were younger, um, I have a vivid memory when my grandpa passed away. Like, you need to be strong for your mom. Something along those lines. And at the time, I associated strength with men don't cry, right? And there's some truth to that. There are points, like, the example I always come to in my mind is, like, if you're on the battlefield and your brother dies, like, right next to you, that's not the time to cry. That's not time to freak out. You step over his body and you continue the mission and you'll deal with that later. But I, it took me a long while to embrace the utility of tears. I'll say it like that of feeling pain allowing myself to dive deeply into sadness and that happened years down the line and i felt like that's actually been very useful in the healing process a a part of me wishes that i did that earlier was willing to cry in front of people willing to be sad there was a vivid point in the hospital because everyone's coming in and i'm cracking jokes when people are in the hospital like about losing the leg it's very like chipper attitude i almost feel like i want to i'm a compassionate person at times so this again not always a good thing i'm not tuning my horn but i like to kind of comfort people if i see her in pain so i saw people upset in the waiting room or not waiting room when they came to the visit me and i would try to like comfort them like hold their hand like ah oh, it's gonna be okay but there was one night where like it just kind of broke i was like just kind of screaming into my pillow like crying and my mom stayed with me the whole time she like literally would sleep at the hospital and i just kind of wished she wasn't there like maybe that was a part of who I was and maybe still am at the moment. Like I want to break down fully, but I don't want anyone to see. Mm. Um, That's natural. No, that makes sense. (laughs) Right. Although lately I've almost begun to admire the person who can be at the funeral and like, okay, it's time to carry the casket. You get your shit together. You carry the casket. If, if you can, you know, no shame 
onto you if you can't, maybe, whatever. But I also want to be the person who can scream and wail and snot dribbling down my nose and, like, tears just flowing uncontrollably. I also want to be able to do that in front of people. That also seems very strong. That seems good. Before I had a girlfriend, I really didn't cry at all for anything, but I feel like that Yeah, the sunset gets me to you. She's whenever I see something, a little puppy. Uh-huh. <laughs> she has a lot of influence on me. So uh-huh. no. Now I just cry when I see a dog. A small uh-huh. dog. Uh, it completely changed the game for me. Yes. But, uh, no, but for sure, man. I mean, I uh, I feel like I was forced to, uh, first of all, ex- accept my emotions and then be in touch with them. And then, like you're saying, like, dude, a fucking good cry is a good cry. It yeah. just kind of is, you know? It yeah. just see- feels right. Mm-hmm. And for sure, I've suppressed all of it, you know, <laughs> until then, mm-hmm. you know, until now I'm starting to be really in touch with it and I'm doing it with this other person, which is also making it a little bit easier. Probably it's like, but there is that value in it. The, the, the power of the cry. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I don't forget what you said. But no, but that's, respect. that's, that's the essence, man. No, seriously. <laughs> okay. Fuck it. I'll go into more story time and cut me off from, from talking too nah, much. No, dude. This is this podcast. Is, <laughs> this is this is where it goes down, brother. Perfect. Um, So I went on an ayahuasca trip with my mom at some point like a year ago. And for ayahuasca, if you don't know, it's an old shamanic medicine. With your mom? Wait, let me yes. ju- jump in there. Is your parents are she- chill? I mean... <laughs> That's actually really funny. <laughs> yeah, man, just dropped DMT with my mom. Uh, we went that's, to the outer space and back. Uh, she was very much like, "Don't smoke weed. Do not like drink when you're a teenager." That's what I she pictured was her super as being. against that. Yeah, 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 super duper. But for whatever reason, maybe it has to do with what she might deem as a credible source promoting it. Like there are several psychologists who, in recent years, Gabor Mate, Jordan Peterson have been some main ones who have talked about doing it, and they'll... This one quote I'm remembering from Gabor Mate, he's a great uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever, specifically regarding addiction. Like, if you're ever curious about the realm of addiction, I highly recommend going to him. Anywho, and he talked about doing it, and that within the course of, like, a week, he was able to make breakthroughs that within 20 years of sitting down and doing the the common um, psychotherapy, like, he... It would take like 20 years to get the equivalent of breakthroughs he got in a week. And so my mom heard that and she started doing her own investigation. I've heard about it from my own ways. So we kind of just clicked on this and we're like, you want to do this? He's like, yeah, kind of do. I'm scared. But, but like, it wasn't for the addiction benefits. This was for something. Why did you do it then? Right. Or was it? It's, for that? it's not purely for addiction. <laughs> what the sh- the ayahuasqueros, the, the shamans will tell you. Well, at least the ones that we went to said that ayahuasca shows you what you need to see not exactly what you want to see and that oftentimes that can be a healing um sort of thing for many different realms but of the, life the appeal for both of you was this is just going to be a nice reset it's going to be a healing we're going to be mm-hmm. able to like it's just going to improve you it yeah. wasn't so you weren't trying to do it for any to fix any specific thing about either of you it was um, just an experience you're going to do together maybe it, i could see my mom and probably me too just I maybe didn't analyze it as much going there to heal in sort of ways mm-hmm. like we both had our traumas in the past and wanting to use this as a healing mechanism but also yeah just general improvement like can this give me some wonderful keys to prosperity or something like that that I wouldn't really get anywhere else and um yeah so <laughs> so I went there the first night I did it I've done shrooms before I've done acid ecstasy if you ever do it 
be very careful. These are powerful things that can go very wrong. All of them are very yeah. powerful. <laughs> um, so I thought I knew what I was stepping into because it's also in the realm of psychedelic. It's a very strange medicine, dude. The history behind making it, I heard it was <laughs> hundreds of years before scientific um, culture really started to evolve. It was very much made by people in the Amazon finding these super rare herbs that are extremely far apart from one another and apparently when scientists ask them like how the fuck did you know to combine these in the, you have to cook it in a very specific way like how the fuck did you know to do any of this and the response is apparently the plants told us so science doesn't really know what the fuck to do with that at the moment <laughs> so it's a very strange origin anywho so the first night i take it it was shit it was absolute i'm not getting any crazy sights or revelations essentially my stomach just hurts for like six hours and I'm having these uh, purges, we call it, if it was in another context, we'd call it vomiting, <laughs> uh, purging. But this is healing, baby. Yeah, and it's cool to actually give it that sort of ritualistic um, meaning behind I it. Love, I love all the ritual terms, <laughs> yeah, it makes it more fun. Yes, yeah, and it like clicks to some, I don't know, some maybe primal part of you. Some Throwing up? Part. No. Purging. Yes. And anywho, so the first night, oh, I really just want it to be over. Like, this is uncomfortable. Like, I just want it to stop. I just want this discomfort to fucking stop. That was essentially the first night. I wasn't sure if I was going to do it again. We we're supposed to do it three times in a week. And the day after that ayahuasca experience, because we would have a day off in between each time taking it. We went to Mexico to do it, by the way. There was like a, a place, sanctioned place, where like 10 other people came and the shamans guide you through it. So anywho, and the night after, I'm just feeling like there's something inside of me I'm not releasing exactly. We had this circle. Everyone gets together, talks about their ayahuasca experience, and it's wonderful. It's very open. Like, it's a sort of openness I would love to see more nowadays. Uh, just average conversations and things like that. It's like the deepest vulnerabilities. People are just kind of letting it all hang out. And I felt like I was holding something back almost. So after that, I'm staring epically at the moon because <laughs> that's just the funny, truthful way to say it. And I start singing something that comes to mind, the song Hallelujah. And as I'm singing it, I just start to like break down in tears. And I forget the specifics of how it goes down, but I feel the urge to like scream out these like hateful words and thoughts that are coming into my mind, like almost a fuck you God kind of vibe. But there's this voice in the back of my head like, no, that's not appropriate to say. We don't say that. That's a bad route to go down. You don't want to do that. But for whatever reason, at that point, I just said, no, fuck that. I want to hear whatever this part of me has to say. So in short, people see that I'm there by myself, like screaming to a fucking towel because I don't want anyone to hear me. So the ayahuasca does come over. They remove the towel. Like, no, just like scream, like let it out. Don't don't hold it in. And for context we're in this building pretty in the boonies like we are now and uh, i just start and i'm a pretty loud guy and i'm just screaming bloody murder out into the wind full volume for like 10 minutes non-stop like ah, ah, ah. <laughs> like my throat is feeling raw and eventually one of the shamans say like hey don't damage your voice without giving a message to it like put into words what this pain is saying and I wasn't able to say all the things that I felt like I wanted to scream out because there's some shameful regrets I have that over time I'd love to be, I want to be able to share with people out in the air and just have it be open, but I'm not ready for that yet. So I inhibited a bit of that, but the part of myself that I did let scream, it showed me this part of myself that 
it's almost <laughs> this is a this is a guess, right? When you let that emotional part of you come to the surface, the crying, the rage, whatever it happens to be, that strong emotion, it it's not just crying and rage. It almost seems to come with a voice of its own. Like it has all these thoughts, these own ideas it has, these things it wants and thinks, maybe. And so I'm screaming out, like, fuck you, God, things along those lines. Like, I hate myself, I hate this, that, and the other. And so yada, 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 I forget exactly what I'm saying. But the shamans come over, like, oh, several other people I didn't realize had gathered around. And they all just kind of put their arm on me. They sit down one of the shamans in front of me and just, like, just look into his eyes. And it was just an unflinching. And keep in mind, there's, like, the ocean behind him and a full moon, something beautiful. And I would, like, look up, but that wasn't nearly as beautiful as just looking into his eyes and he said that he'll reflect back to me myself and so I saw as I'm looking into his eyes like rage calm nothing rage rage and spontaneously I just break out into like this huge giggle this huge laugh and he starts laughing because he's somehow perfectly mimicking whatever it is I'm, I'm feeling like he's just mirroring it back to me perfectly it was crazy and I can't put exactly into words how but that seemed like a very healing experience cathartic letting out the emotion and getting to know that um raw part of myself yeah what about your mom where's your mom in this whole thing oh my god my mom that was <laughs> that was pretty cool there was one point in one of her experiences her first night was essentially like mine right just a whole lot of oh fuck just let this be over with for the love of god but then <laughs> the second night after some advice from the shamans she gets to a point where She's seeing these visualizations of, like, an excavation squad going inside of her and, like, taking out all this different dirt, all this different mess, taking it off on a conveyor belt. She saw, like, these aliens come over and scan her body, and the scans would stop at certain points, and she said it was almost like they were healing it with light. It would go to a different part of her body, heal it, and when she felt perfectly healed, like, this sort of blissful feeling, (laughs) she said she extended her hands and just shone light, like just shot beams of light <laughs> at the other people doing ayahuasca. Like it was this healing energy. And when she felt like they all had enough, she just sent it up to the sky and released this sort of love and healing. She had images of her uh, grandparents. Oh, and at one point there was this banner that kind of crossed, went across her vision. It was something like, um, if you don't use your creative energy, if you don't channel it, you're going to become sick. Like, you're going to become really sick. And there were parts in it where she was, like, shaking uncontrollably. And the way she interpreted it later is, like, this was the ayahuasca showing me an equivalent to what would happen if I don't explore my creative energies. Because she's, this is my interpretation of it, she's been someone who's very much been on the grind mode for the family. Like, I'm going to grind, I'm going to make sure my family's set. But now that we're kind of moving on, birds flying the nest, that sort of thing... She was a bit lost, but still working, but kind of hated it. Wasn't exactly sure. And it almost seemed like the stress was literally killing her, like injuring her. We have history of Alzheimer's in the family. So there's a very genuine risk. Like if you stay in this highly toxic environment and there's something different about when she's there, but has a good reason to stay there. It almost seems like your body literally responds to the stress differently. But now that you don't genuinely want to be there, the stress has become almost poisonous and toxic. And vaguely, I have memories of high stress leading to mental illness later on. So it almost seemed like the ayahuasca was showing her that, like, no, you're going to just like you're going to lose control of yourself, your functions, if you don't channel this energy you have inside you appropriately. And that was one of your experiences on the on the ayahuasca trip. 
now when I <clears throat> hear about the visualizations, because I've listened to so many podcasts about people talking about this, and I've never done this, now they don't seem crazy at all. Um, now I go, yep, yep, that checks yeah. out. That's about, yeah. Your, your mom is shooting light beams, and you're yelling at the moon. Yeah, that's, that about sums it up. <laughs> Sounds like ayahuasca. Yes. Dude, and it's weird. Like, the lessons that I took from that like they unravel over the course of months and years like it's not over a week you change it like it'll give you these seeds and you have to keep watering them and over time you'll recognize the I'll speak dramatically the profundity of what it showed you but it'll take time do you have anything specific that on that came out later that you a realization you had later and i it mm-hmm. might not be specific but i'm curious no there's one that comes to mind i've been teetering around that time i was leaning more towards the realm of play of joy, having fun. Kind we of talked like, about this a little bit too. On yeah, our in the moment. And there was this idea I had in my head that I was kind of avoiding. The Goggins ideal, right? The ideal of the person who like grinds the absolute fucking limit. And that there's something golden to be found there. For some people, I'll say. And a part of me was like getting called towards that. But the playful side was like, no, that just seems so painful. Like not worth it. Like don't do that. And on the last ayahuasca experience... Um, a funny rule of thumb the shamans gave was if you ever aren't sure if you should take more ayahuasca in the middle of the ceremony okay I'll set the context first they start this elaborate ceremony we're all sitting in a circle this is the beginning or this is during just during it this is during and the story I'm about to talk about is my last ayahuasca experience but for all of them they like open the circle they open the gate right and how many of those do you have in total. Uh, three over the course of a week. Got it. It's like one day off, one day on, one day off, one day on. And um, so they'll open the window and everyone takes a shot of ayahuasca. Then like 20 minutes will pass as it sinks in and they'll say the door is now open, which means for the duration of the six hours while you're going through this ceremony, you can take as many shots of ayahuasca as you want. If you are if you go up there and get it yourself, you have to go up there and get it. They won't bring it to you. And keeping that in mind with if you ever are questioning do you need ayahuasca take another shot the two nights the two ayahuasca experiences i didn't follow that advice because it was painful it was very uh, unpleasant to continue taking the shots which is (laughs) a lot of tangents here but the second night was almost pure bliss when i went into it there was a lot of wonderful visualizations and great time i had but i feel like i still didn't dive super deep into those waters I didn't keep taking the shots when I felt when I had that question in my head. But the last night, I'm like, fuck it. Last day here. I don't want to leave here with the regret of not pushing it as far as I can go. So the last night, it's just shot after shot after shot after shot. And my stomach's in this incredible pain. Uh, the second night, they told me, okay, if you follow these four pillars, like love, light, peace, appreciation, something like that. And I was following these mantras in my head, essentially repeating these uh, words. And that actually made it a very pleasant experience. Like sh- It was strange, but I just kept repeating those words in my head, kind of made a song out of it. And it made it this wonderful experience. And on the last night, for whatever reason, I just kept asking, you're supposed to go into it with an intention. And my intention for the last night is like, what does God need me to see most? That, And I was like, oh, that's a, that's a fucking... I didn't really want to ask that because I knew that that could just mean what if God just wants me to hurt like hell to the nth degree? I don't want to do that. But (laughs) on this night, I'm not repeating those mantras 
and I'm just like, what does God need me to see most? And it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. But I almost felt like I was bathing in like agony, <laughs> like in suffering. And it almost made me this fucking adamantium, like this rock hard. It showed me this part of myself that could endure through these deep, deep levels of pain. And afterwards, that kind of over the year, it's been a year now or two since that um uh, experience. No, one year. And it just opened my eyes up to the gold to be found in the realm of pain. And I've been more willing to explore discomfort and pain uh, after that. Yeah. How do you look at the physical side of the trip versus the mental and emotional? Is it all and spiritual? Is it all one? Meaning when you say your stomach was messed up, like mm-hmm. did that feeling go away? Was like, do you think it's physically doing something to you too? Yeah. Like, there's definitely a physical part to it where it's just like this. If you have a, if you're at a hang, ever had a hangover before, the stomach pain the night before or the day after. Yeah, I've had a couple. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. That's how it felt for me. But the ayahuasca said something very interesting. She's like, "Excuse me." Pain in different areas. The pain that I held there had at that time was in around my solar plexus, and she said that's associated with repressed emotion. And if you're repressing the motion, the pain's going to gather there somehow, some way. And when I actually released it like I did, the one night I'm talking about screaming, went to the second night, the pain wasn't there anymore. Like, it almost seemed like I'd cleared that. <laughs> if you ever saw the Avatar scene with the chakras, chakras, get your, yeah, where he's clearing the water. It's like I cleared the waterway, at least for that night. But for whatever reason, on the last night, I felt like I had to block it. And yeah, it hurt physically. That night, there wasn't very many visualizations it was just a lot of like physical the medicine showed itself through the form of like physical pain not mental traumas popping up in my head and like oh it's scary or sad like no it's just literally like oh god this fucking hurts <laughs> yeah i was it sounded like it it didn't sound the physical pain didn't sound enjoyable to me no, so it wasn't that's why i asked that one. <laughs> but it could also be like one of the most ecstasy filled experiences you've ever had it's a strange thing like they say shows you what you need to see not what you want to see and there seemed to be some truth in that have you had any urge to do anything similar to that since that experience oh fuck yeah I'd love to do it again it was a it was a bit expensive so I wouldn't want to do it again for a few years get my funds in order but yeah I'd love to do it again Definitely. You you think, yeah, and hey, listen, neither of us are shamans, neither of us are MDs. I am an MD. I am a major cool. douche. For sure. <laughs> we figured that one out. Um, <laughs> but that's the only MD I am. So I'm not going to, I'm not, I, I asked this um, knowing, and uh, every all the listeners knowing as well, that none of us are qualified to uh, make medical determinations. But do you think that, like most people can do something do you think this is beneficial for the general you know how people say yeah man if we just put these guys on acid yeah bro, right the whole world the whole bet. world would be chilled the fuck out dog i if you put a gun to my head and i had to bet i'd bet that's not true <laughs> it seems to oh, be yeah. like they you don't sell ayahuasca to people that was really the culture in that area like you don't go around trying to convince people to take it. It either calls to you or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't call to you, it's probably not for you. <laughs> like, probably don't do it unless you genuinely want to. And that's how you should treat m- most drugs, I feel like, as well. I mean, like, I've gotten offered DMT multiple times and just hadn't 
didn't take it because I wasn't in the right scenario. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. man. It's like you don't want to take it at a party with like hell no, not a chance. Fuck you no. Know? Just not my scenario. You know, DMT. You want people who are able to restrain you if you're doing DMT because it can get that bad. Yeah, it can get like I'm just headbutting the ground. Have yeah. you done that too? Or? Yeah, at the, at the ayahuasca place, they also offered DMT. Jesus, man, you yeah. freaking yeah, like hey, man, we got a little DMT. Yeah. That was interesting. Try I got naked. That was fun. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah they gotta allow that there though. Yeah, no, they literally said DMT. Like, okay, if you take it and you want to get naked, that was one of the things. Or they said because they scream. know you're gonna try. They're like, all right, if you want to. Yeah, during the ayahuasca, the rules were pretty much be quiet, like keep it to yourself. It, obviously, if it's uncontrollable, it's uncontrollable, and we'll deal with it then. But very much keep it to yourself. With the DMT, it's like you're responsible for your actions. Keep that in mind. But you, if you want to scream, you want to get naked, do your thing. And, yeah. And I did. <laughs> How responsible you have to be to be a shaman, man. Hold oh, my God. And patient. Yeah. Oh, they were they were wonderful, dude. They felt like a different type of person. Like, they, I mean, the fact that when you're looking in that guy's eyes and, and you f- he's mirroring it back, I mean, that's a different type of person, 100%. I mean, I believe that. Like, I believe that there are – I also believe – that because I have – if I believe in shamans, then I have to believe that a regular person who's not a shaman can become a shaman. And that I just have to believe for me. Yeah. So I have to believe for me that these are just regular people. But I do believe that they have cultivated something that is beyond the span of normal func- <laughs> human functioning. You They're know? definitely – Normal th- interaction. One would be one thing to say is well, the the guy who is there, who's actually the the youngest of the shamans. The two were older women, wonderful people. Anywho, um, the guy specified, I'm here because I'm following like my path. I'm doing what I genuinely most want to do in life, and that's led me here. That being said, I do wonder to what degree every person could, like, to what degree does every person have a potential to become a shaman? Mm-hmm. Well, for you, I mean, that must have been somewhat of a thought with the name, you know. Yeah, because that, that experience was pivotal in me choosing my name, I think. Um, but then you also realize the weight of what it's like to be an actual shaman, too. So, I mean, you chose... Still learning that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you chose the name selectively, but knowing that it does come... Knowing that people are actual shamans, and not to say that you're not, but it's just the fact that that guy's on his path being a shaman, hmm. and that's his whole path. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, he's living a different life than, mm. but every shaman could be different. Dude, and it really opened my eyes to like, oh, I think we're missing that in America. Or oh, I, see. I wonder the, if we're missing that. Yes, yeah. back to that concept. Like I, yes, we don't see the thing is now is we have trusted sources, not sources that are trustful, sources that we trust. And though <sighs> we don't have shamans, we don't have people that we go to for the answers. We have organizations and we have outlets, hmm. and we have conglomerates, right? We have trusted sources. We have the news, hmm. many different trusted sources. <laughs> we have podcasters, many different trusted sources, articles, uh, you know, news in any fashion. Whatever somebody is seeing and believing, like reading and then believing that thing, that's a trusted source. The shaman is a trusted source for life, like a life-bound hmm. trusted source, whereas the news or whatever you're going to say, individual, is a society-bound trusted source, (laughs) a cultural trusted source. So we don't have these spiritual, life-bound trusted sources. I agree with you. I don't know if we did more 
or less. If you look at the 60s, I think the drugs were kind of the it were that. The drugs were the shaman, right? It's like the movement was the shaman. And this is how I look at it. It's just like you don't have a neighborhood shaman. It's the way <laughs> but that's never happened, you know, other than maybe the uh, the religion's the closest thing to this, mm. right? A preacher or the priest, that's the closest thing to a shaman. And I've heard psychologists too. Yeah, but that's not as there's hundreds or th- there's thousands of people in a town or hundreds that go to church every week. There's mm. not hundreds or thousands that go to the psychologist, <laughs> right? So and but maybe shaman, maybe I'm looking at it wrong, right? Maybe the shaman is the psychologist. Maybe it is the person that only a few people go to only the people that need it right then in that moment. And there's something so weird about the shaman that when you go talk about us, uh, okay, I'll go down this tangent for a second. A psychologist being the modern shaman, right? The person you go to as a life coach and definitely people do that with their priest, right? There seems to be more of a, a faith in science, a faith in very structured measurement systems, trying to figure out how to improve your life or whatever the given situation is. But when it comes to a shaman, they seem to still be tapped into this. Sadly, the only words that come to mind sound very woo-woo. Like, yeah, but uh, this is woo-woo. <laughs> but man, I don't even, I can't, the words fucking escape me. Like, there is are it not emo- words. They don't, the words don't exist to really, truly describe it. Hmm. Right? It's something emotional, something like... Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Spiritual life, like it's like that, those aren't it either. But you kind of see what I'm get where I'm yeah, going. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's something I I've brought up multiple times in the podcast, specifically last episode too. Of like, I'm not really spiritual. Like I meditate all the time and stuff. But like, it's not a spiritual thing. It's like full. Like, but I maybe this is me just making it that. But it's a more of like a mental, just like for my own peace of mind. And maybe that is spiritual. But I think I'm like well. Is there a deeper dimension of this spirituality that I should go down and should I go down it and should I even think that I should or not? And what's where? how are people reaching the deeper level? Like I've been on the deeper levels through meditation. I've been on the deeper levels through mushrooms. And what I my the example that I use is that like say mushrooms, for example, or ayahuasca. Ayahuasca brings you to the back of the house. It blasts you out the back door, <laughs> right? Mushrooms bring you in. You can walk around a little bit, you know, and then maybe reach the back. Meditation is you're just opening the door. <laughs> you're looking inside. You kind of see it. You're like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of close the door and go about your life. <laughs> so that's how I look at these things, you know. But I'm like, there seems to be people, though, who live in the house, <laughs> yeah. you know. And to us, they might seem crazy, but it's like they just might be on a different spiritual plane. Um, and the problem is that... We can't really define it, right? It's like you'll have a Gabor Mate, right? And uh, fantastic, I love listening to him, right? But I not I don't see him on a different plane than me. Like I see him on the same plane. Mm. He can describe and understand things fundamentally better, but I don't. I I think he's functioning on the same in the same uh, dimension as me. Mm. And then I think there's people that are really functioning on a different kind of spiritual dimension. Like the artist. Like the artist. And I've been there with the muse before. And mm-hmm. it's came out. And the whole song <laughs> has came out of me. And I didn't even have to edit it. 
<laughs> that's really this is a fucking super cool idea for I heard from Jordan Peterson that okay imagine there are these three three realms of knowledge that we exist in the outermost realm is the realm of the unknown unknown right this is the shit you don't know you don't know <laughs> the super mystery and then at the center of that realm is the very known part of reality right one plus one equals two the very mathematical solidly accurately measured part of the world and the intermediary as he described it is the artist the person who can go into the unknown unknown and sort of begin to translate that information into the known right and that's the artist who has the muse where the fuck does the muse come from i don't know but it can produce some amazing shit right (laughs) yes Mm -hmm. yeah and you don't know the feeling until the artist translates it Mm. like you've only felt the feeling but you've never heard it translated (laughs) into reality and the artist translates it into reality and you go oh that's that feeling yes (laughs) and sure it could be obvious of like the girl broke up with you and that's what the song's about or whatever but it's they are channeling an emotion that you've only felt not described Mm. and it's being described through (laughs) the painting or the song Mm -hmm. or what the fuck is that like what there seems to be something cool admirable profound when you're able to like make a really profound piece of art yeah it's something that seems so meaningful about it and yet it's hard for me to put a very specific scientifically measured um number to that well, like i mean the the thing is that a note isn't a song right it's a it's how many notes in a row is a song hmm. I, I i don't know i mean it depends on the song right but uh, design isn't art. Art is art. If you create art to create art, you're creating art. But if you create art with the purpose of a design, it's you're trying. That's the purpose, not the art. Now, mm-hmm. so it's not art, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of how I look at these things. Where it's like a no, a s- sound isn't music. Sound strung together in a melodic tone, one after the other, it becomes music. Mm. So art is stringing together the individual pieces into the formulation right and that's when it becomes art that's when it crosses the line right i play beep boop on the piano okay you got a little something but (laughs) i have two notes but i definitely don't have a fucking song so when I play beep, boop, 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 beep, boop, now it becomes, okay, now mm-hmm. that's might be the verse, right? Or whatever. Now it becomes a song. So the art is, art has to pass a threshold. And there's people who pick up the piano and they play a little bit. Maybe they learn a little bit and they learn some other people's songs and then that's kind of it. Or maybe they pick up the guitar and they do the same thing. But then there's people who then cross the threshold and take other people's notes that they've learned and put them in a different order. And that's when the art enters the picture. The creativity? I think it's the creativity, yeah. And that even... That's one thing that I don't really think has been hijacked. I think meditation has been hijacked. I think um, spirituality even has been hijacked. By what? Um, I mean, meditation, for example, is just like... I said this to other podcasts, but like the headspace app you know like mm. say like they're trying to create apps around shit that's <laughs> fundamentally very spiritual and like much deeper than an app would ever be able to get you and maybe not right maybe not but i'm saying they're trying to it's corporatization of mm. concepts that have been around for tens of thousands of years and you just put a ten dollar thing on it and isn't it weird like because uh, i've noticed a similar thing happening with ayahuasca it's starting to become this popular thing and they're like these ayahuasca retreats and the vibe i get is almost that they're moving you through like a factory line 
And it's hard for me to put my finger on exactly what is off about that, right? It's the concept of, oh, you sold out, man. Like, you lost the spark, man. What, what, like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> We're not creating art anymore for uh, to make the most beautiful, connected with God, divine thing. I don't even know if that's right. Like, now you're just making it to make money and for some reason that can maybe lose the spark. I, I don't know, man. Well, that's a whole conversation for sure. I mean, I've, I'll say this. I have made the best beats. I'm a, I used to be a producer. I say I used to because I don't want to say that I'm a producer. Like, I produce music still. But I have my I have a producer that does it way better than me, and we work together, right? Dude, like, we got a freestyle. I didn't. I said that last time, but I kind of forgot and didn't feel like doing it by the end, so I apologize for that. But at we'll some throw point a beat on. It, that would be fun. We gotta throw a beat on later. Let's do it, man. One hundred percent. But I have a um, producer. Shit, I don't know what I was saying. What were we talking? Oh, about? sorry. Uh, you had a producer. You used to make beats. Um, creativity yeah, corporations. Yeah, I'm trying to f- f- see figure out the point that I was trying to make about that, but. Um, I don't know. I have no idea what point I was trying. We're to talking about losing the spark me. through like corporatization, selling out. Um, you were making your own songs. Um, beep boop beep. I don't know. Oh, sorry, <laughs> found it. Thanks, guys. Thank you for holding this. Thank you, listeners, for holding this. You don't. You don't know how hard it is. <laughs> I made my best beats uh, when I got paid for them. Yeah. Yep. Hey. Best dude. You play these beats. Uh, any rapper could rap on these beats like if you fit that tone it's one it's in a category of and i produced for a long time like i'm i got really fucking good at it but i got paid and i made my best shit (laughs) so it has nothing to do the money is whatever you ascribe money to be Mm -hmm. and it really comes to what you got money for in your life so what i i could never price my beats because i had no fucking idea how to how you price your art, right? Mm-hmm. Then you go, what's money? Money is bread. Money is gas. Money is like, then I go, okay, so the price doesn't matter then because it's just, money is just a way to trade things. Like you fundamentally, like people conflate, people confuse uh, when they, when you start mixing art and money, there's, there's diehard hobbyists who have never got paid for their work who are trying to tell you that that's bad. <laughs> it's bad because if you got paid, now you have to make the best shit you've ever made in your life, mm. right? You don't know what that pressure's like until <laughs> there's a person going, yeah. I sent you the fucking invoice. Where is it? You got time limit, bitch, yeah. <laughs> you got a time limit. Now you might rush. It might not be your best work. That's totally possible. But there is a pressure involved that for me created, it created a very, it's a pressure that I truly needed. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to that topic, You should get paid because it'll give you a new perspective. Zoom out more. Stop getting caught up in the money shit. Mm. You should get paid either. You can get paid $10,000. You can pay five bucks. Mm. It's going to change something. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't want to knock someone who makes art primarily for money. I don't want to say that as if it's necessarily a bad thing because like, hey, make your fucking bills, right? Like do your thing. But when I think of, okay, Avatar The Last Airbender, right? That seemed like a show ignoring Korra for a second that started and finished and it was gold from start to finish and then I look at a show like One Piece right I have a tattoo of Luffy one of the main characters like I love that this is one of my favorite stories of all time but it seems like they've dragged it on and my sense of it this could obviously be very wrong but my sense of it is that they are now just doing it for money and whatever spark they had before it is now 
kind of gone and it's just like we're just going to keep running it like i've noticed the same with naruto or bleach where it's like we just kind of want to make money like see how much money we can possibly get from this thing and like do your thing i don't want to say it's necessarily bad Mm -hmm. but it lost some piece of the gold see and you're looking at this from yes a a massive company who's creates creates tv shows like yeah, bro. Like they make a lot of money. like their whole thing's money. Like <laughs> I don't give a shit what show they made. I don't care if it's Breaking Bad or one of the best shows on television. If they weren't making money, they weren't making it. Fuck yeah. yeah. So if that Naruto would have never existed, if they were gonna only go in debt for the rest of their lives making it, right? <laughs> money was mandatory for all this shit. The people who are on set, they are fucking designing that animation. Even twelve, you know, twenty years ago, made money, right? Yeah. The show had to make money to pay them, so. What happens is not, it's not that they, it's not the money, it's that it's the mindset. The Mm. mindset changes from we need, we need to make this thing and we'll make money to we need to make this thing and make more money and Mm. continue to make more money and make as much out of it as we can. So maybe intention plays a role in the quality of the art? It's 100% intention, dude. I know people who sell what I sell for $5,000, what I sell for $500, right? Mm -hmm. That's intention. You can get the same outcome. My intention is lifetime value. My intention isn't to grab five thousand from somebody and then and then they hate me because <laughs> we had a contract and in the contract it said I would do the things that I did and then I delivered them. So you can't be mad, right? Mm. That's not that's how other pe- some people do it. That's not how I do it. I do something for lifetime value, but it's mindset, right? Because I know the five hundred. I'll o- I'd rather over deliver on five hundred than just give you the just enough for five thousand mm. right so that's a mindset dude that's a that's a values that's mm. a values thing it's like a lot of these things come down to values like i've had to explain this a lot of times because i truly believe it is that um i think it was a friend of mine on the podcast who you know somebody was gonna uh somebody had a gig right and they couldn't do the gig but they didn't want to tell them tell him about it because they just didn't want him doing it right Oh, I'm sorry. Say that again. So say like uh, I'm you're a, a production assistant on a movie set, mm-hmm. right? And you um, can't do you can't be there, right? We need you for two weeks. You can't be there, right? Mm-hmm. You don't. I'm also a production assistant, mm-hmm. but you don't tell me just because you don't want me to get it, right? So you see what I'm saying? Like you're not saying, "Yo, Sully, you want this job? I can't do it. Do you mm-hmm. want it? Why don't you take it?" You're not doing that be, just be for the reason that you don't want me to get it and potentially get an opportunity that you would have gotten mm. right now my values aren't that my values are end product right my values are looking at this movie going this is for the people who are watching the movie right so i'd rather you, you take the job right then um th- i don't care if i don't get the job the outcome is does the role get filled so then the out the actual outcome that we want to happen which is the movie being created happens mm-hmm. so some people live in that world bro some people don't want other people to potentially get an opportunity that <laughs> that they probably would not have even gotten and i don't live in that world that's the 5000 guy for the guy who, for what i sell for 500 right mm-hmm. he wants that opportunity because he values the money, right? The guy in the example of the production assistant, he values himself. He values his own person over the uh, collective goal, which mm. is to get this movie made, right? <laughs> There's a very fascinating thing to stack on top of that. When you think of the guy who is 
how should I say it? Okay, so I heard this description movie, Baby Boy. If you haven't watched it, watched it. I've never heard of it so recently. It's a fucking wonderful movie. Anywho, at one point, someone's describing what a good salesman is. And a good salesman is the kind of guy who, after they've sold you the product, you feel good. Like, yeah, like this was a fucking wonderful deal. I'm glad they persuaded me to buy this thing. But the bad salesman is the guy who sells you the thing, and afterwards, you're like, ooh. Fuck, I, I wish I didn't fucking do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real, for real. I don't even know if I wanted that. Yeah, literally, but then they're kind of running away like, oh, I got him. And the interesting thing about that is it, from things I've heard, take that for what it's worth, the person who, let's say, screws you over to get the 5000 now tends to, their reputation is shot, right? Like they have to find new people, new people, new people, because I can't rely on the person who I just kind of skimped five thousand dollars from to give me a good word for the next person so my societal network is less likely to grow because people are like don't fucking do business with that guy he's gonna screw you over so you may get a lot of money in the short term but over long term at least from what i've heard it doesn't pan out as well <laughs> no man I, I i think i try to think as long term as possible with everything because i if you are not doing things today and this week and this month and this year that benefit you 10 years from now, your 10 years from now is going to be really terrible. Mm. It's going to suck because the people that I know who have a great, who are 10 years ahead of me, we're prioritizing shit. The people that I want to live like, they're prioritizing shit 10 years ago to bring them to the point now. Your life isn't you now. Your life is what you did in the past that brought you up to where you are now. Mm. The most important thing is what brought you there <laughs> you don't get anything immediately right so that's kind of that's what i optimize for like it's not everything dude like i have habits that are quote unquote bad habits i fucking still do them i just live my life like i have things that i want to change about myself in the future i'm mm. not perfect like i haven't fixed it all for sure but i do i many of the the things that i spend the most time on i'll say are all for later mm. they do okay now and they you know pay the bills and they fulfill me and all that but it's a long game dude and if i play this long game i'm i don't want to wish i played the long game that's a <laughs> shit position now because that is the guy who's 43 and watches mm-hmm. gary v and i told i've talked to these guys on the phone like they're good guys right mm-hmm. it's the guy who spends three thousand dollars to go meet gary v at a fucking seminar and never and still works at fucking fidelity bank I don't want to be that. I And that's just one example. But I don't want to... I want to do it now so then I'm set up to where I don't have to have a realization in 30 years. <laughs> I'd rather just try to figure it out now and then just do things that optimize for that. It's fucking way harder in the moment. Like, it's way harder when you're grinding to make something later. Hmm. You know? But one podcast a week for 10 years. There you go. Oh, as you're fucking saying that, okay, here's a very interesting... To me, an interesting thought that pops up so the story of the ant and the cricket right the ant spends all summer storing away goods for the winter the cricket spends all summer just kind of fiddling away playing music just kind of living for the present sort of lifestyle and the question is well who wins in the end and the answer uh, this was a conversation between joe rogan and jordan peterson their latest podcast together and the answer is to who wins Well, it depends what happens. If a bunch of other ants move in and steal that one ant's supplies, so like you saved up and someone just took all your goods, well then in a sense it's the cricket who won because they were kind of just living for the moment. And what this 
what this connects to seems to be the stability of a society. If your society is stable enough that you can trust that if I invest thousands of dollars in the bank or in investments that it's actually going to be there by the time I hit retirement age, let's say, and that I'm not going to get, for example, skimped out of my money by corrupt bankers like the 2008 crisis who I wake up one morning and all my savings are gone. So it's like the saving up mentality seems to depend a lot on the world you're living in. Is it a world where you can trust it's still going to be there in the future and it's not going to be robbed or taken away or blown away by a disaster? And um, that's an interesting thing to contend with when I'm trying to figure out how to live my life. <laughs> well, the thing that does not change is your skills. The If you have made money investing, you'll always know how to make money investing. Meaning if you can make money investing five times, then you can do it ten. It's just mm. you're going to have to stick with it. right? Oh. <laughs> and so the problem is people will – they may do – they, they'll want a shortcut, but they don't want to build the skill. Mm. So they'll trust somebody else to do it. And then when that doesn't work out, then that person will be like, well – it's just the circumstances. And I heard if, you, just if it how does the world work works. out, you just win by luck, essentially, if it works out. And then you have this insecurity of like, well, yeah. if it's just by luck, luck could take it away. My skills didn't make it here. So it's not solid. It's nobody, not nobody who fucking made it says it's I mean, not nobody who made it says it's luck. But like if you really were to push, they will say it's luck for sure. Many people will say the reason a major reason is luck. And uh, the problem with luck is that you can't uh, account for it. You can't mm-hmm. quantify it. So you can. You can hope for it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. But it you can swing guarantee. either way. <laughs> the one thing you can guarantee is your skills. Hmm. So if you are in a job now that makes $100,000 a year, right, in an industry that's projected to grow, you're probably, you have $100,000, six figure a year skills. Hmm. If that industry explodes, like, you have six figure skills. You know how to cultivate a skill to make that much money again. Yeah. So it's, you gotta, you have to overvalue your skills. And undervalue luck. <laughs> Here's a fuck. Oh, okay, tell me, I'm curious what you think about this. Okay, so you're in Cambodia. What like this during the 70s? Something along those lines. I'm always lines. in Cambodia. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> and it's I don't know if you're wearing glasses, if you have a college degree, if you're very light skinned, if you're a person who knows how to read, you're killed. Mm. Like these skills that in a stable society are the things that get you the best around. If things go sideways, they're the things that put a target on your back. And that's a strange part about becoming educated, learning these sorts of skills, having money being invested, that it seems to you have to make sure it how how the fuck to say this? Making sure the society around you is stable seems to be a very important part of relying on your skills and building your skills and building your investments and things along those lines. Because if, for example, America's to uh, go the way that the Soviet Union did, and which was also a superpower of the world around like the 80s, 90s, where it collapsed. Like everyone thought it was one of these top of the world countries. And overnight, essentially, the economy crashed and a lot of people were, uh, their skills didn't mean much, <laughs> didn't mean jack shit because... Yeah. Everything around them collapsed. So it's like I can't build fast enough. Things are just breaking down around me so fast. Oh, okay, so I'll direct this to you for a second. And if you don't want to go down this route, it's fine. It's your podcast. Do you see any concern about the state of uh, America over the past few years? Can't control it. Nope. Can't control it. 
that I can't control. Like I'm all I can do is my all I have is what I have. Like if podcasting dies tomorrow, I'll fucking pivot, dude. Like I learned this mm. shit. I know how to learn shit, right? Mm. Like I don't look at like all right, if the country's going to implode and then they're going to come after the podcast. It's like first of all, they're not coming after me. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not I'm not the guy. I'm not I don't own the house like sure we're on a hill, but it's like I'm not the richest dude in town with the house perched up on the hill where you know that's the richest guy has all the money and then when everything goes crazy they go and loot that guy like that's not me so I know that's not gonna happen um not that I won't be threatened but I mean for me to fucking think that if turmoil occurs for me to account for it there's enough shit that'll probably happen that I have to account for it's like I there's no way that I'm accounting for shit that on paper probably won't happen like it's it's and sure you can argue it you could probably argue argue it but you're not going to be able to give me a percentage and the stock market crashing that i can go that could happen Hmm. like we're kind of close like a full recession kind of close there's warning signs they've Hmm. been saying this for fucking 10 years Mm -hmm. dude it's like there's things that do happen Hmm. they don't happen that quickly so you keep your eye on like the omens you keep your eye on these giant catastrophes that could happen while i'm working on my local grind building my own nest i don't think about the catastrophes that could happen really at all Hmm. i just don't have time to like i have to think about what's going i think about if everything goes the externalities of the world i can't concern myself with like i i i'm i need to build the things now i'm building things that as long as the world goes in the direction that that it's the world and as long as this country goes in the direction that everybody's predicting it to go which is real estate investors in Florida if you think that the water if you think that the tide if you think that the ocean is going to rise 10 inches ask Miami real estate investors ask them they're not investing in four it's 50 to 200 year <laughs> deals in real estate if the water's going to rise right like there's people way smarter than me that will predict this beforehand and I'll hear it from them right it's like so for me to get caught up in it um, and that's just one example with the water levels but it's like there's people who are actively have jobs that are there to make sure that they know if this stuff happens and I'm not in that industry my industry is does the internet is the internet on <laughs> mm-hmm. if the internet dies I'm fucked I'll go back to my other skills because if the internet dies people still drive cars boom I can go fix cars I'm good <laughs> my skills my skills fucking saved me dude you know I mean that's just I just don't look at well this could be a civil war or this could be a this it's like it's not it's just not now uh, for me to hypothesize is I could see her all day hmm. you know but my client needs me to call him <laughs> Yeah, man. Fair enough. Fair so, enough. And you kind of alluded to that, though. Like, do you see do you see it going in a direction like that? And do you see that being feasible or on the horizon? Because I would think you're crazy if you said yes, but I would love to hear because I'm in my own fucking world, bro. You know, I've, I've seen some very troubling warning signs about um, let's just say politics in America. And when I say politics, there seems to be a lot of ideas associated with what that is a lot of it seems to be just lying politicians arguments on television clickbait stories but if you view politics as just okay this is the system that decides who gets what they want right 
it's as simple as that. Do you get what you want in this country? That's essentially politics. Do you have your hand on the lever that can get you what you want, whether that's weed being legalized, whether that's the speed being raised or lowered, whether that's the draft being reinstated? I'm talking about all different types of examples that politics yeah, yeah. influences, right? And um, so you're talking about who's getting what they want. Okay. And then I've looked at the state of the country over the past years, and I'm by no means an expert in this, so again, take that for what it's worth. But from what I've heard is that, okay, political tensions are rising. A common thing I hear is that they've <laughs> there's a level of hatred between parties that was last recorded this high right after the Civil War of our, you know, our, our last Civil yeah, War. Yeah, but who's recording that? Right? Like, and then how much can you trust the polls that are taking those questions? If you're telling me right now it's more polarized than it was when Trump became president, it's not possible but that's that's the weird thing okay so i look at like a january 6th and i don't know how you think about that but when i saw it i was like oh there are people in this there are people that are very willing to violently overtake the country there and it was are a small, like 65 of them it's like they're radical like they're rat they're not they are the fringe meaning they are the smallest percentage but the fact that they got that far is something that worries me the fact that they literally got they into didn't even congress have a fence. that kind of makes sense but what do they have one fence they the cops <laughs> let them in dude it's like right and that's well i don't know if they let it they didn't seem to be enough to okay, actually if stop they got them. that far that's not a people issue that's a security issue right a security person gonna tell you that are, are to, you are you like alluding to it's the notion of going and doing that action in the first place yes the fact that it got that far that fact that from the little i've seen it seems like the president was very much promoting that and that's what i've heard is one of the most but it's still wonderful work though that's the thing but here's one of the weird things it's one of the most okay first wonderful parts of our system i've heard that we're able to peacefully transfer power right from president to president that's been one of the staples of america apparently that's a rare thing throughout history like people don't usually peacefully that's give true. up the most powerful reigns that's true and we're the biggest superpower in the world, so this is like the biggest reigns in history. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that we've been doing that peacefully is good. But then you look at the Trump-Biden election and the fact that one of the leaders is saying the election's not valid. Like, no, this is cheating. This is lying. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to get into that at the moment. But the fact that that's being said at all and the fact that a lot of people are believing that at all, it just makes me wonder whether this is one of the... A warning sign of something worse to come. But that's been said before, though. Like, there's been a peop there's been presidential candidates who have, who have in the last thirty years said that there was fraud. Had they that's there's the difference I want to make is not just saying that there's fraud, but saying that the entire election is invalid. Yeah, yeah, no, true. I mean, and you're and uh, dude, I mean, and there, like, there's nobody like Trump. And th that's I'm so fascinated by Trump and just. I need to talk to more people who support him because I'm so curious. If you look at us, you're like, these guys are fucking right wing, dude. It's like, I'm not. I don't know if you are, <laughs> but I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm issue by issue, you know, mm -hmm. um, for sure. And I'm not libertarian. I'm not in the middle. I'm not mm -hmm. on the left. I'm not on the right. I'm nothing, dude. Mm -hmm. I'm fucking politically nothing. I'm just topic. But there's not been a president like him. And he proves that by the things that he says yeah. he makes apps he says absolutes it's <laughs> fucking madness dude and presidents do that right but like not like him mm. not like the election <laughs> is a fraud yes january 6th it's going down it's going down like i'm down. not explicitly saying overrun the capital but there's a strong dude he was a fucking comedian man and just ugh. he's always got a bit and the it's fact funny. that, like, comparing Trump and Biden to the presidents that followed, these don't seem like very, 
high competency. I don't think people that the president has much power. I just anything they say they're going to do, they never do, and barely. There's no president where you go, wow, he fucking did like everything they said. <laughs> oh, okay. Here's something uh, I want to jump on real quick, and this is an extreme example, but an important one, I think. So as Germany was going through its uh, woes after World War One, right? You got to imagine, like, the people who are ruling the country are getting knocked out and replaced left and right. It was fucking madness um, for quite a while as far as who's running the country right now. And Hitler was on the... I'm not calling Trump. I'm not calling Biden Hitler. That's not what I'm saying. But just follow for a second. (laughs) As Trump... Or, sorry. As Hitler was on the rise, he failed a lot. There were a lot of points where it's like, I came close to becoming the president... But the old president who had been the president for a long time, he ended up running again. And the majority of the country supported him, kind of like Biden in a weird way. Or like the Putin of Germany basically was still running shit. Yes. Yes. And for a long time, that's how shit worked. And Hitler kept trying to get elected, kept failing, kept trying, kept failing. And it was like a part of me sees January 6th as the equivalent to... Hitler almost winning the election because there was one point where he was off by several million votes. He had like 15, he had like 5 million and the president had 20 million, the specifics I'm going to fuck up, but it was, it was a little burst. Like, okay, he's not strong enough to win yet, but you can see there's this strong force in the country that wants him to, to rule. Mm -hmm. And through all these twists and turns of history and events eventually that little guy ended up becoming the person who ran the whole thing and even though it looked like an insignificant thing all the times he almost gained power you could be like ah he didn't win the other guy won by like 20 million votes don't worry about it it was a warning sign and i'm not saying it has to go down that route could go down a million different routes but the fact that i saw that in january 6th that there's a leader saying legitimately Mm -hmm. This is, I'm still the president. Like, this is not legitimate. Fight for me. That that was something that worried me. What did he actually say? Like, what did Trump actually say that day? Like, what's the quote, though? Like, that's, that's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. Trey, can you mind looking that up? <laughs> I'll look it up. Yeah, I want to know what he actually said. That is sure. very important. Yeah, Devil I think that's details. important because I don't know yeah. at all what he said. And, and, I and could I'll, go, I'll just believe you or I'll just that's, believe anybody. Yeah, don't, don't do that. Definitely um, do your research, I don't folks. believe me, you know? Um <laughs> But I mean, listen. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I kind of get what you're saying, but I, uh, I mean, he was already done. Like he's already out. He already got vote. You know, he's get. He, and he then he got run, voted. He out. could run again. I think he actually oh, said I, he, I, I, he he might run again. But um, and not even Trump specific. Like it's he, weird he, how calm he, everything seems right he, now. Oh yeah, I mean, if you uh, and you may be in your uh, right wing wormhole, but if you don't uh, or your silo, but. If you don't think that 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 the country calmed down, like I, I do, and as if we have the fucking pulse, you've done forty interviews, I've done like a hundred. Like we don't have the fucking whole pulse, son. Fair, but it seems more um, calm. It seems more calm, and it seems less defensive. Agreed. And I really palpably feel that, and um, I'm totally down to admit that that's just me, and I've I'm not <laughs> saying anything that any, that that anybody else feels here, but. Um, I think the it, the person matters a lot, right? So Biden doesn't say anything. He says shit that just doesn't make sense. He doesn't say things to get people fired up. Did you see part of his speech where he looked like fucking stormtrooper speech? He had the red lights behind him. No, the, I didn't see this. This, this, this was, I only saw a clip of it. 
um he was saying things along the lines of like we need to unify this that and the other but then like a minute afterwards he's also calling the trumpers something along those lines like the enemy of the state and like mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to unify but this entire section of the population is an enemy of the state so it almost seemed like trump after trump came into office the window of what hostility it almost seemed like a lot of hostility became more normalized and the amount of aggression i saw in family members like on the ground level just talking about politics seemed to spike more than i ever saw before and it has calmed down during the biden administration but i wonder if when trump runs again it's going to jump to even new heights of aggression yeah i'm wondering like listen i'm not going to vote for him but i um you know i wouldn't i i didn't vote for either of them Mm -hmm. and uh i don't i don't like I think fundamentally the it's obviously not a good system like it's just I don't think any I mean maybe people would not agree with I would think some a lot of people maybe more constitutional oriented people might not might agree that the system's fine but I don't have a way to change it or fix it but I mean to have two options to run 300 however many hundreds of millions of people that we have or billions of people that we have here millions we have like 300 300 yeah 50 million or something like that's that shouldn't be a job it's strange it shouldn't be a job like it's a dumb job it's a job (laughs) to run a million people not 300 million you know it's that's why like mayors fucking make sense to me would you ever get involved in local politics not running but just voting or caring more about it. I've, I've thought about that, getting involved I've in running. About, hmm, I've thought hmm. about getting involved actively. I wonder if that would be one of the keys to helping us in general. More people getting involved in local politics at the moment. Because there are a lot of arguments to be made that your vote doesn't matter very much for the large scale election. And there's something called the invisible primary. Have you ever heard of that? No. Do no. you care if I dive into it real quick? No, go. You're educating me. Okay, cool. An invisible primary being, okay, so after an election is run, the heads of either the GOP, which is the Republicans, or the DNC, head of the Democrats, they'll gather with the biggest funders of their groups and the head of the the head of this political party, right? And it's a reasonable thing. It's not like some evil smoke and mirrors thing. They get together and like, all right, what's the strategy for next year? How can we improve our election campaigns? How can we be more likely to get elected? This, that, and the other. And they will decide on party members to support. This was actually a big thing with um, Hillary when she was running against um, Bernie. This was a big stink because you're running against Bernie. Yeah, right. Because you're not supposed to have favoritism if you're the leader of the DNC against any other party member. But emails were exposed where the leaders of the DMC were saying, like, no, we're going to promote Hillary. So the biggest funders the leaders of this group they come together they talk about who's someone who's most likely to win the next election right and they'll kind of pick that person and they'll give them a lot of funding which in turn gives them more news coverage which in turn makes them more popular right and now the news is covering them more they're getting a whole lot of funding from these big groups so before we even look at before the everyday person gets to choose who gets elected, there are these people who are pre-selected who have a much higher probability of even showing up on your radar than anybody else. And so that's a that's a an argument to be made that uh <laughs> there's an election made before we ever put our votes in the ballot. There is 100%. I mean, there's an election made that is either person 1 or person 2, but that's parties. Like those parties get the most 
and the funding is you can only donate five thousand dollars or something like that. There's yeah, unless you have a super pack and then yeah, it's there's loopholes in the in mm-hmm. a whole thing. Yeah, it's almost unlimited. Yeah, it's because though, if you zoom out more, it's like yeah, this is what these people do because there's these two major parties, and then there's these two major parties because the these have been the two major parties, and no other party can compete with them because they don't have the backing of the funding of the people who support these two, and those people who support those two major parties aren't going to fund the third party or the fourth or the fifth or whatever you want. So it seems like it is the, it is a system. What I'm meaning is all the parts are come together to make either one option a happen or option B. Hmm. Like that's just what it seems like. And it's so strange that when I voted for Biden, I didn't research him very much and I kind of regret that in hindsight, but I almost voted for him because he wasn't Trump. Trump. Yeah. Yeah, And I'm like, Oh, that doesn't seem like a good (laughs) long-term solution. (laughs) Yeah. The not, they're not this person, especially I'm sure a lot of Trump voters were just like, he's not Biden. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> literally. Yeah. I bet some people voted for Hitler because of that, dude. Yeah. Fucking they're bet. not this guy who's been in here for 20 years or whatever. Let's get this new guy in, which is such a I mean, weird perspective. He wasn't campaigning on what he did. Like he was campaigning. He was playing politics. Like, yeah, you know, Hardcore. they didn't know what he was going to do, you know, even though he alluded to it before, but he wasn't public facing about it. But yeah, I mean, that's a bad situation for sure as well. That's what I'm saying, dude. That's I don't have a fucking solution. I don't know how politics works enough to know like, hey, well, we can do it like Australia does it and they have 13 parties or whatever. I don't fucking know, dude. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is, but it does seem that's why it feels it's I'm not uh, incentivized to participate in it. Like mostly laws don't like. They a lot like they affect me. Everything affects me, but the things that they're campaigning on mostly aren't things that I'm like. Wow, I really wish that this was changed. And that's one of the weirdest parts that as I've talked to people about politics, apathy seems to be the number one emotion in relationship to politics. Like I just don't care. Well, it's and it's also all old shit. All these people are old. All these ideas are old. All these everybody's fucking old. Get some new people in there who look like me and sound like me and might be my age <laughs> and fucking seem like they care about me. And then maybe I'll care. It's like I'm not going to care about people who obviously don't care about mm-hmm. me or anything about me. Why do I now care about them? I don't give a fuck. If your shit doesn't, if Biden versus Trump, my fucking business is the same. My fucking life is the same. My side job's the same. My fucking girlfriend's the same. Fucking her job's kind of affected. She works for the government, right? She might. She would want to look into this, but me, I'm like, fuck, like if the taxes change, maybe some shit could change, but not in my bracket. <laughs> shit really ain't changing you. down here, yeah. you know? Oh, that really- So it's like the fact that's the real fucking reason why people don't participate is that they don't feel like anybody cares. And that might be an emotional way to look at it or something like that, whereas like politics should just be logic or something. Um, but that's not the case because... <laughs> A lot of we're humans, right? Yeah, everybody makes emotional <laughs> argument. Um, but that's my thing, dude. Like, if there was, if they were like, we're gonna ban podcasts, and then I had to vote for somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't ban them, fuck, bro, I'd be the first one to vote. Which is so weird, man, because that person could also have a bunch of other things they're running on. You just don't know or don't care about. Well, which I factor that into. We're gonna ban podcasts, but we're also we're gonna, gonna hold our illegalize weed and all this other stuff. Yeah, we're gonna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna, you know, ban or we're gonna not ban podcasts but we're gonna ban weed and i'll be like fuck that's oh, tough no, for me. yeah <laughs> i love both those things it's a, it's a strange world <laughs> we're, we're gonna promote guns we want guns but we're not gonna allow muslims into our country yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like oh what do i 
want to do here. It's like, uh, yeah. motherfucker. Uh-huh. I thought they're, they're pretty good people. You know? it's like, <laughs> yeah. And then it, it does get really personal, man. Like, what affects me in my life? Well, I really like guns for XYZ reason, protection, hunting, etc. But I don't really have any Muslim people in my close-knit community. And that's huge because it's almost not real to you mm-hmm. if you don't experience it daily. So it's like, eh, it's that kind of background thing. Like, it doesn't sound bad, that great. Yep. And if it were Christian people, I'd probably be more offended if you happen to be Christian. But if it doesn't affect you directly, oftentimes it seems like people just don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because the side of the spectrum that cares the most, the most meaning like there's people that care on behalf of other people. And that's the fr- that's the fringe over there. I don't care. I'm, I won't make statements or make, you know, determinations based on other people, like based on their parties or their groups or their ethnicity or their nationality or anything like that. Like. Mm. I that's the thing where that's the balance that you try to strike where it's like okay do I care about things that affect other people but like okay so does then that mean that people care about things that affect me well that I don't know so I have to worry about me because I don't know who's caring about me I got it I just got me dude like I could try to figure this shit out figure my own shit out so yeah I mean it's tough man that's the problem the fundamental where I'm at and where there's people have mentioned this to me before, but, um, you know, a friend of mine was like, you should talk about more relevant topics, you know? And, uh, like I was going to, I did a solo episode of the podcast mm-hmm. and I'm like, ah, it's so boring to me. You're like, right. I just, <laughs> That's a big thing, man. <laughs> like I just don't care. Like, mm-hmm. like his, like he gets super fired up about like, you know, uh, whatever the, the newest development of, you know, Ukraine or it's like, no dude. Like, it's just not me. So I'm so, it sucks. I'm, I suck because I don't care about it and none of it excites me. And I only care about shit that excites me. (laughs) There's something, uh, to keep quoting him because I just really like a lot of his stuff. One of the things Jordan Peterson has said is that once you know what you're, what bothers you, right? Like, what are the problems that actually bother you? Do you care about? He's like, okay, now you know, like. You, what your goal your mission what there is for you to focus on that's what's important to you in the world and that's a rough way of saying it but and for me it bothers me yeah. the things i'm seeing in politics right now so i can see like a fair argument for like all right you don't really care at the moment it doesn't bother no, you it doesn't this bother me dude. fair enough at the moment when it bothers me fucking let me know bro yeah. all right <laughs> that's one of the things i worry about man they're trying to fuck podcasting up bro Beyond this shit, if you find some shit, I can't fucking send it to me. I'll be mm. all. I'll be the first one. I'll keep that. Yeah, that's a. What do people care about? Yeah, that's a big thing, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, you used to get on that. You used to watch the TV, and it used to be here's the fucking shit they're gonna tell you, and you just believed it. And you were a worker. You were a blue collar looking guy worker, and you lived in this state, and this is your party, and this is my party, and these are my people, and this is my shit. Mm-hmm. And now it's not really like it's still like that for some people. But then other people, it's like, I don't I there isn't a, you know, party that all podcast producers fucking (laughs) go towards where I watch the TV. I go, that's my guy. Mm -hmm. No, like like I said, there is no that's my guy. There was people that gave a fuck and there's still people that give a fuck today about politics that go because I go, that's my girl. That's my guy. I don't have that. I never have. Mm hmm. And, um, dude, what president I like the most? I loved Obama. 
I loved his speech, his oration, right? I just look at people for their, like, characteristics. <laughs> That's another weird part about the election, yeah. I just yeah. look at skills and characteristics. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, I literally like that guy. I had, Do I want to have a beer with that guy? Obamacare. Only thing I know he ever did. <laughs> That's how naive I am. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't look at any politics. I only looked at what I saw. And it's like, all right, cool. I liked him. Trump, ah, he's a comedian, and he's just doing it for for a laugh and for to get excitement. Okay, cool. So I figured him out. Biden, he's a puppet. Okay, cool. Figured him out. Like, I just figure him out. Then I go, all right, no policies about podcasting, weed mar- uh, legalization, uh, you know, fucking music, uh, art, you know, live events, uh, DJing, weddings. Uh, if there's fucking nothing about, you know, my girlfriend. All right, cool. Nothing about this shit that I... Just do every day and care about. Yeah, I'm good, dude. I I don't need to worry about it. Fair enough. And maybe that's a good. (laughs) Maybe that's a good sign that things aren't as bad as maybe I fear, um, because it's not popping up on just people's radar. In generally speaking, and then there's another part (laughs) that worries. Is it one of those? It's becoming so normalized that things are getting extreme if you were to look at it from a long-term perspective but since it's happening so gradually it's like the toad getting boiled to death right like you slowly turn up the heat and so anyway that's just something i really yeah. have to keep my eye on but yeah. i'll i'll keep you updated if i see something that might catch your fancy yeah <laughs> definitely i mean i'm down i'm not gonna see it you know uh i uh i watch the local news i think that's the best news even though they're all fucking clones of their other local news <laughs> You ever see that video where it's all the news? <laughs> yeah, I think that one of the major corporations fought. Fucked. Dude. Yo, Trent, did you ever find what Trump said? Yes, sir. All right, let's uh, fucking see. So that. there's a quote that says this is what he said, quote unquote, mm. and then there's another quote that says this is what his defense lawyers say that he say, okay. quote unquote. So I'll read the first quote that says this is what he actually said. Uh, we fight like hell, and if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. End quote. His defense lawyers say that he said, not that, but he said, I know everyone, I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make their voices heard. Mm-hmm. Marching. And if he's aggressive, see yeah. that big difference in those words there. <laughs> yes. That's all I got to say. Big difference. Big difference. No, no, no. no. Uh, that's the worst. I need to get better and we at don't remembering have, specific And we facts. don't have tone. We don't have tone to, but listen, um, okay. Do you think he made that happen? Purposely, he, is that what he to me, is that what he wanted, and it, then it happened, and he made it happen, or was it also people on their own accord who weren't influenced by they were influenced by him, but not by his direct instruction, mm-hmm. and they just did it on their own accord, and it was a mob mentality, mm. because it seems like it has to be a mix. I agree, and there are some vague memories I have, and I need to get better at remembering specifics, but. So look it up if you're curious. But there are vague memories I have of him saying, like, if we lose the election, I think he said this when he was running against Hillary either way. He's like, I'm not going to accept it. I won't say that that's like a valid election. I believe that he said that, too. And that so I think he played a very big role. I don't want to say I think. Right. Because I don't know. It seems Mm -hmm. to me like he played. And we can't get in in the minds of all these people. And we weren't there even, too. So Mm -hmm. there's that. But it seems like he played a big role in that. It seems like he really wanted a lot of his supporters to not count this as a valid election and maybe it's some sort of longer game plan like i'm sort of making it normal like oh yeah we stormed the capital that's a little bit more normalized now so in the future if i want to push for something a little more extreme maybe that 
compared to January 6th, now that we're getting more normalized to it, it won't seem so extreme and people will be more willing to overlook it's it. It's like school shooters or something. Like, oh, another one. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's so fucking weird. Can I, uh, is anything there a bathroom can, up here? Anything can be normalized. Mm-hmm. I gotta pee. There's not, oh, yeah, outs, you have the great outdoors, sir. Fuck yeah, perfect. Do you care if I run out real quick? Oh, no, no, no. I, right. You're good, dude. You're good. Right Me and Trey will hang out. Cool. Tret, are you in a political uh, fucking party or anything? Or uh, you're no. Little, you're uh, a free baller? Uh, yeah, I'm a free baller. You're not as much a free baller as me. I was no, like, not even close. You're like, motherfucker, I'm pretty close to his side. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I definitely go uh, more Democratic than than anything. You know, do you, are you familiar with Hodge Twins? They're, no. They're uh, twins, and they're on YouTube. Hey, I'll take a little bit of that, uh, that guy over there if you want to. I got you. Meet me halfway here. Yeah, I got you. Keep going, Hodge twins. Hodge twins. So they, um, the they're they're YouTubers, right? And they quit their job and as accountants, and they became YouTubers. And there was a point, and I'm, if I were to guess, I would guess that Alex probably is familiar with them. Okay. Um, they are right wing guys. And I was watching a podcast with them and this guy named Patrick Bet David, who's a really successful entrepreneur who owns an insurance company. And they were describing their party, their right wing party, and then the left wing party. It was very interesting to me to hear him try to describe. I would like to have a left wing person there um, that could actually be like, well, no, that's actually not, you know, what we are or whatever like that. But yeah, but see, here's the thing. Like for me, I don't like. I don't identify with a party. Like, I just, I personally don't believe in that just as a person. Like, I think there's too many different uh, subjects, too many different things to be like, no, I'm only, I'm a Democrat, you know what I mean? Or I'm a Republican. That just doesn't vibe with me. Um, I kind of, in a way, agree with what you're saying somewhat to some degree of like it's kind of topic by topic yeah but most of the time on those topics i align my values more with a democratic view than I a republican think, view. i think i do too but i don't know because i don't know what both sides agree with completely like i don't even know yeah the sides see that's where i'm that's and it's yeah. it's kind of hard to say i mean like you kind of have to pick a topic you know like if you pick a topic and you say, okay, well, what's one side and what's the other side? But is there like, all right, left-wing people believe this, right-wing people believe this. Like, there totally. is totally those. And those I don't know. So I don't know if my th- – I mostly know, but like, all right, guns, like I want well, – so, so you can get know, like super, super general and start with saying, okay, if you were going to go from like a 30,000-foot view, what do Democrats in 2022, you know, what are their viewpoints, you know? Uh, probably to have stricter gun laws is one thing, right? Yep, yep. Um, probably to have a more universal health care system is another thing. Uh, so more, um, how do I describe it? More people-centric. It's more of a people-centric society together kind of thing. One hand kind of helps the other hand type of thing, where the Republican Party is more of a individualistic party. So it's more of... I I will work and do my own thing to get to this point on my own. I don't need anybody's help to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the right believes that they're more constitutional based, like standard amendments. Like conservative, like, stick with what works sort of thing. Yeah, it's yeah. Conser- it's conservation of, you know, I mean, you can get super, super drastic on that <laughs> side and, and be, um, what is it? It's the, um, not founding farther party. What's the, you'd probably know the name, the, um, the super, super radical right wing. Um, Alt right, 
No, it's like even past that. It's like constitu- they're like constitutionalists two to the like never change it. They, period. Yeah, it is the constitution. Neo-Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, right. But so yeah, so it's like conservation of the you know, what was originally there mm-hmm. and that yes, things yes. really shouldn't change where the democratic side is more of changing and developing with Times changing. Yeah, it's, it's like really on a, on a thirty thousand foot those view. Makes sense to me. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, that's yeah, where to I'm a certain at. degree. But, yeah. but but yeah, like you're saying, like I probably lean. I probably do lean more left. I would say mm-hmm. probably. You definitely do. Uh, yeah, and you know because yeah, you, you definitely fucking do. heard me talk. <laughs> you definitely do. Twenty thousand <laughs> fucking hours. You definitely dude. do. I'm, does that, I feel like I sound like an idiot? Like I really don't really know. Like I don't really know. I just don't follow. Like I don't know this stuff. I don't know what these people. Like yeah. I see fringe. Like I see fringe, mm-hmm. you know, and I and yeah. I see that, and they bring up a video on a podcast about some fringe thing, and I'm like, oh wow, that's crazy, you know. Yeah, but I, mean, I don't know the fundamentals. Like I fucking forget, dude. Like if I learned, I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it's like literally, if you want to go like super super basic, it's you know a party that doesn't want change and a party that wants things to change. Mm-hmm. So, and that's like totally policy like driven. Like it's not like things should never change ever, and they have to stay exactly. That's not what like the. Uh, Republican Party is about. They're just saying that there are these core uh, policies that should stay the same way that they are currently or were before. So, like, a lot of times they'll fight to overturn, like, you know, Roe v. Wade is one of those things. You know, they wanted to go back, you Mm -hmm. know, and and be like, no, it was fine the way that it was before and keep it that way, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like on the other side, it's more, well, we have to adapt and change. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, change versus not change. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Dude, we were talking. Do you uh, are you familiar with Hodge twins? The Hodge twins. You would probably like these guys. They're pretty good, man. They're YouTubers. They're twins. They were accountants. They quit their accounting job. Like one of them had a kid, and they just started a YouTube channel, <laughs> and they started getting traction. And like maybe five or six years into making videos, this is their full time job. And they look exactly this. like they <laughs> dress the same. They have the same haircut, everything. They started coming out that they were right wing, mm-hmm. and they lost the first video they made. They had "Make America Great Again" hats <laughs> on, and they lost. They went from like four hundred and seventy-five thousand followers to like three ninety or something like that. Like they lost a hundred thousand subscribers mm-hmm. in like the, on that video, and then their following like got insane after that, mm-hmm. you know. But it was just interesting to me. I was watching a podcast with them the other day with Patrick Bet David. I'm not sure if you watch him. Yeah, you gotta check him out, man. Uh, PBD, he's great. He's a, a very successful entrepreneur owns a big insurance company Mm. and he was interviewing these guys and they start talking about they're like well the right is like this and well the left is like this and and they start talking about i'm like um this is like the fucking only info i'm getting dude (laughs) like i see the tv but i see msnbc and then i see fox and it's like i just try to infer stuff but i'm only seeing it's like it's like i watch the first quarter of four Giants games the whole season and I'm trying to tell you about the Giants you know uh-huh. <laughs> no yeah that's, that's not going to tell you anything about how Giants are at all because they I know well, their logo yeah. they only come back in the end dude it's like no but like if they come back it's going to be in but mm-hmm. no I know that because I've watched them long enough but 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 that's really it like I, I'm so fucking surface level like I would have to like dive in and really learn and then and for sure I'm, I'm, I'm I agree with you that I'm, I'm more left and right but um, I also do I do believe in a lot of fundamental, you know, right-wing ideas, like, mm-hmm. 100% as well. Sure. And that's okay. Like, you don't... Ha- that's the whole thing is, like, you don't have to be dedicated to one side or the other. Like, you really don't have to be, you know? It's I, just... Yeah. You can kind of... Like I said before, it's like kind of you pick a topic 
and what are the conversations about it? You know, what are what are people saying about it? Hey, I think that what this person is saying is that makes sense. Oh, th- this person also makes sense. Yep. And then, like you're saying, you kind of formulate your own De- opinion mm-hmm. on that. Yes. And yeah. but you're definitely no matter what your opinion is. I mean, you could be totally neither. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's possible. Yeah. <laughs> but usually, you're probably going to say like, oh, this makes a little bit more sense to me. But I also think this. You know. So you can kind of say like, oh yeah, I lean more right on that idea. But I also think these things that the left is you saying. Know what's you know what's interesting mm-hmm. too, my friend. Um, Jack, who you met the other day, yeah. he was more of a right-wing guy, and now he's definitely trending more left. I think a lot of us really kind of trending more left, but kind of as time goes on. Um, but it's very interesting because he could sell the right-wing stuff mm-hmm. to me like it was a fucking piece of candy for five cents, dude. Like, I would just believe everything. He, like, it was so compelling <laughs> with what he was saying, but it was so... Uh, healthy and enlightening almost for me to see him him change and for him to admit like I'm actually kind of understanding this other like I'm really kind of resonating more with this side now and like it's just that allows me to that gives me a lot of hope and what you're referring to here today as well is like I hope that it doesn't go and you know get so crazy or that these signs don't lead to this more deleterious negative outcome um and I don't either, man, and I don't get caught up in it, you know, and I feel like you're definitely deeper than me. Um, I don't really, it's it's a conversation, and I knew that this conversation had to be had on this podcast, but I didn't know who, who was going to be the one, and, it, and I'm glad that it's you. Um, but when you, do you have a kind of, do you have an ideal circumstance of like, well, I hope that everybody finds their party, or I hope that there's a, more options, or I hope that this, or I just hope that you know, the civil war doesn't happen or something like that. Like, do you have an ideal circumstance that, that you kind of see playing out, even if it's the next election? Great. Or if it's beyond or before that. All right. So gun to my head, if I have to just make something up, because I have to say a really important thing about my view on these topics, I would guess is that I don't know a lot about this stuff. And that, Starting from that vantage point seems very important, but if you want a guess, I'll, I'll give you a guess. Um, ideal. People start communicating more respectfully with a true curiosity about what the other side wants instead of just painting them as a caricature and like shoving down your throat um, my views and sticking only with my party as a sort of tribal mentality. Like, this is my team. I never abandoned my team. I always vote for my team. If you have a D next to your name, I'm voting next to you, voting for you, period. I don't care what your policies are or anything like that. I would like to see less of that if people became a little more, not even a whole lot, but a little more curious about the political realm and began to investigate it more with, I'd call it like a scientific integrity. Uh, this is a phrase I heard from Richard Feynman and the way he described it essentially is you're bending over backwards to see how you're maybe wrong about something, right? So you're very humble about what you think you know and you're really trying to prove yourself wrong uh oftentimes i'd like to see that but to see a party member rise through the ranks and not even a party member just someone rise through the ranks of these elections who seems (laughs) to have these qualities i'm describing and openly not just like behind closed doors i have them but i won't show them in public because i'm afraid i'll lose a following um i'd like to see that maybe it has it can be done largely with people getting involved more on local political um arenas and almost like a a martin luther king 
esque character rising up through the ranks because from the very very vague memory i have of him in history class he was a low level um activist for a while like there were many people throughout the country that were about his level when it came to um fame and influence over the movement and so someone who's starting on that grassroots level that for whatever reason gets picked up by the tide of uh the majority of the population they can turn their eyes on this person and be like oh that's a genuine genuine right honest reasonable person <laughs> that comes to office that would be i guess the the ideal situation maybe in some situations big money gets a little less involved in politics and who gets elected in certain ways um yeah, I think there's people who who are like that. I think Tulsi is like that. I think there's a few. There's people who mm-hmm. I get a good vibe from. Yeah, Tulsi, I agree. I I really liked her um, vibe. And Dan Crenshaw to talk about the Cren- Republican Crenshaw. Side. It's like, dude, that's where I'm at. It's like Crenshaw. I don't care about your, like he doesn't. He he doesn't have create. Like you can be on a side. It's just I want like you're saying. Like it sounds cliche, but it's like, dude, a fucking genuine person. It's like <laughs> what? Like really? And and and. <laughs> fucking wild concept <laughs> but we don't have that but like yeah. Tulsi Crenshaw like they're different fundamentally mm-hmm. and I there's stuff I don't agree with about Dan there's yeah. stuff I don't agree about Tulsi cool but I think it's fine I mm-hmm. that's that's not what we're pushing back against yeah it's the full takeover mm. of these are all the ideas that we believe in and then this is our whole thing it's like and what I've mentioned many times on the podcast which is 100% happening, nuance. <laughs> it's gone. Mm. There, We can't, we only cherry pick when we want nuance. We only <laughs> have nuance when we want it, and we don't have it when we don't want it. Mm. And I think we, for us to get that genuine person, we have to bring the nuance back. <clears throat> we have to understand the person next to us who's so rigid in their ideology. We have to accept it. You know, it's like we have to be coming back to was this MLK? But it was like we have to be it probably wasn't. But like we have to be that change. Like we have to be uh, we have to live our life the way that we would expect others to live it. It's like I really do think that's kind of the extent. I'm a podcaster. That's all I know how to do is just tell you what I'm doing. And if you believe me, great. If you don't. Cool. That's that you're not supposed to agree with everything but maybe agreeing with the goal you know which is to uncover these things and have these conversations and hear the people out that's where the nuance comes in right Mm. that's where we start to get closer to the genuine Hmm. person and there's an interesting idea that pops in my head of again to take from the Joe and jordan peterson uh latest podcast they were talking about truth pursuing truth in a conversation and um, Jordan Peterson's guess was one of the reasons why you're so popular is because you seem to honestly and with good intention aim at truth. And a lot of the things we say are wrong. We're human. There's a lot of flawed information we have rattling around in our brains. But you're attempting to be true. You're attempting to find the truth with all the stumbles that go along with that journey. And it's interesting to think that if you pursue that in your own podcast, which seems you you seem to include nuance a good bit in what you're saying, caveats like, well, maybe I'm wrong and other people have these other beliefs, things along those lines. If people begin to see that and just, oh, you know what? If it resonates with them, I kind of like that, right? I like hearing that sort of conversation. It just seems like a good sort of way to approach 
reality when you're trying to figure things out or trying to talk with people and maybe that that can spread the culture of nuance of reasonable conversation so in an interesting way you going after your own goal could it maybe it could end up helping the political realm writ large because people just begin to adopt that sort of relationship with curiosity um with conversation Mm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. bring it back dude yeah this doesn't happen a lot now <laughs> and that i wonder if one of the best ways to promote it is to just show all the good that comes with having this sort of view of life it's right? just people can't know what i've taken out of this because if they haven't done it it's like this has changed my life and it's changing my life right now and uh for the better completely but if you don't sit down to hat like I don't need the mics and the cameras and the lights here. Like, I don't need them. Like, I'll have the conversation without them. It feels very cool with them, I must say. It feels <laughs> cool, for sure. <laughs> and it's the reason that we can change people, or not that I'm trying to, but the reason people can change from it is because we turn the lights and the mics and the cameras on and release it, right? But fundamentally, like, from what I get something from these conversations that if you, I mean, if you don't sit down with a hundred people for two hours, it's just, it's just, I, I don't know if you can find a way like, right? Like this is my way of doing it. If everybody can start to find their way of doing it, mm. of calling somebody on the phone, talking to them for five minutes, whatever it is, like that's going to give us, that's going to bring us one step closer. Cause we can only make a step at a time here, mm. you know? And, but yeah, I'm the only thing I want to do is let people know that they can have a voice and have it be heard. It's like my voice was never supposed to be heard. I wasn't accepted by a TV show. I wasn't a host on a super famous podcast. I wasn't, you know, a, a, a music star who was, had, you know, millions of fans and sold out shows. I was none of that. But I did this anyway. So it's like at the end of the day, you know, use your voice, right? But find your way. Find your thing that gets you closer to the nuance, to experiencing mm. somebody else's perspective, you mm. know? other people's perspective that if I had to guess I would say that's also an important piece of reestablishing prosperity or improving prosperity in our country just being curious about what other people think what the worlds of information are like that completely disagree with what you currently believe did we talk about Daryl Davis no but he's a fantastic guy I'm talked about it on the podcast before it's been a while though yeah the, yeah. the fact that his just curiosity in a Klansman and why do you believe that exactly? Like and for just, context, as a uh, a black blues musician, yes, who would play in front of uh, KKK members who began to start to talk to them and have conversations with them, mm-hmm. and didn't mean to convert them. Now, yeah, that was one of the most fascinating takeaways I got from those conversations. I'm not going into the conversation to persuade you. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious. Why do you believe what you believe? When you begin to tell me if there's a disagreement that pops into my head, I'll bring it up. And like, what do you think about that disagreement? And that oftentimes in his experience, people were willing to investigate that along with him. And it, I wonder if if he went to that conversation with the intention to persuade, their barriers would go up. Oh, 100%. If anybody's trying to persuade you of anything, your barriers are going to go up. Mm. What you, what I know, I want to say from podcasting and then from sales, which has confirmed it now is that I will never convince anybody of anything. They will only realize it for themselves. And they will 
put up any barrier possible to make sure they don't realize it. And I wrote this down. It's we question everything except the things we never think to question. <laughs> and that's the truth, right? And you're, it is a self-realization. Like if the self-realization, nobody's going to realize anything for you. It's all self, hmm. you know? Hmm. Like that's what a white supremacist KKK member converting over, not convert, converting out, right? Nobody's convincing that guy. He convinced himself. Right, like Daryl said, he said he never convinced anybody. He didn't. He gave them logic. <laughs> right? They were running on emotion. He gave them logic. And they, even if they they've were never on- seen a black guy talk in front of them, <laughs> that's logic, bitch. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like once you see that, you go, wait, wait, wait. So, all right, this guy's articulate. Okay, so now that will barriers mm-hmm. down. Like, and he's providing these start- facts. I go check them on my own. Like, oh shit, he was right about barriers this. Barriers start to break down. Hmm. Yep. Hmm respectful conversation because that's always something he emphasizes with it the respect yeah the good intention but and I th- yeah I think that's what we're both doing and I think you especially man I really appreciate that you are you're doing something that uh, I just, I don't know man I don't know how it happened with me like I just ended up continuing I realized that like for some reason it's going to be really valuable so I'm just going to keep doing it mm-hmm. it's going to be first of all valuable for me and then second of all maybe valuable for other people and then I just kept going you have your own reasons. It could be that. It could be something completely different. But the fact that you are dedicating to it, it's like we don't have one thing we never get back is time. You're giving people a lot of time to get, and I'm in this area too, 20, 40, 50, 100 downloads or whatever it is. Like, you know, that fun, that tells you that it's not for the wrong reasons, right? Like it's for your personal development, the development of this person you're talking to, and then somebody else's development. Like, we're only giving away positive shit, dude. Mm. Like, I'm not here to pump us up, but it really, like, I'm, I could have made it my own little thing and never exposed it to the world, you know? But now, we're taking the fucking chance. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if we weren't over two hours, dude, I wouldn't cut it. Mm -hmm. But I think this is a good place to stop. I think, um, I bookmarked a lot of topics, uh, for us to hit on next time. And we overlapped. I don't even know if we overlapped any from our, <laughs> from my conversation on your podcast. I mean, you are re- a great interviewer. And Ditto. thank you, man. And I think you really got your ear to the ground and you really listen to people. And uh, I recognize it. In terms of what you want to do with your podcast, you know, I hit the 40 episode mark. It still felt like it was really new. Um, but what does that look like for you? Like, are you gonna, is your main goal here just to continue to pursue these conversations and make them happen? Like, is there no strings attached to that? Or do you see a kind of bigger vision for it now that you've, you're at in this position? Hmm. I'm not sure. I've started to question the fundamentals about why I'm doing this and a lot of other things very recently, like literally the past few days. And as I dig down to like, well, why am I doing this? Like the heart of why I'm doing this. Okay, why am I doing this podcast? Because it feels good? Because it feels right? And also those other things I listed earlier. It's like, well, why do I trust those as like reasonable reasons? Um, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe there's some measuring system that's tried to figure out what's been working that I've done in the past and it's been keeping an emotional tally so I can kind of trust my emotions because they've led me right enough of the time that 
part of me trusts uh, this emotional desire to want to continue with the podcast. And I have the more logically elaborated reasons I said earlier. But at the heart of that, I, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out a lot of why I'm doing this and what it's going to look like in the future. A lot of it's a big question mark at the moment. I will say, though, when I ask myself, what do I want to do? I'm still called to the podcast. So we'll see how that goes. Well, I'll ask you again next year then. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Alex, thank you so much for doing this, man. Thank you, Sully. <laughs> Trent, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Time. Mm-hmm. Time. Um, where can people find you? I'll link it all in the description and show notes below, but cool. let them know. Find me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat under neomatic.shaman. Um, Spotify, Apple Podcast, YouTube, also on neomatic.shaman. And for the listening platforms, you could also type in Spirit of a Nation along with my handle. And yeah, that's how you'd find me. All right. I'll link it all. I'll link my episode as well. We got into some varied topics. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's always fun to do the long form on the other end as as we're both doing. Um, Yeah, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate what you're doing specifically. I, I just really want to harp on it because it's a lot of work. It's hard to do. Um, but with that being said, I'll I say it every time, guys. This has been another episode of Bobcast Today with Alex Cortez. We are on all platforms, even the ones nobody uses. <laughs> Peace. This was fun. <sighs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> Man, that was it. That was some good shit, yeah. <laughs> that was nice not being in the hot seat, I gotta say. That was fun, right? <laughs> right? Hey, hey, thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate you listening today. The only thing I ask is if you could please share this show. We're gaining a lot of traction online now in terms of what the uh, Instagram clips are doing. So we want to just keep the momentum going and get better and better guests so we can improve the quality, improve the conversations. And all that happens with you. Uh, None of this would be possible uh, without the people who support this show. So please share the episode, uh, whether that's on your social media or with a friend. Really appreciate it. So make sure to tune in next Monday as well and catch the video version on YouTube. All right. We'll see you on the next one. Peace. Peace.